This episode is brought to you by Collector Mount. Mount all your old DVD, movies, Blu-rays, and records on your wall. Sounds good, Mike. You know, it's not just for uh, DVDs and movies and such. I saw you could do comics as well. That's right. Yeah, anyone that's The website's actually comicmount.com. Yep, visit comicmount.com and enter code LATEFEE25 for 25% off your order. You know who I can do without? I can do without the people in the video store. Which ones? All of them. This is Massive Late Fee with Mike and Mark. Hey everybody, welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark, with me as always is my co-host Mike. How you doing, Mike? Pretty good, how about you? Good, doing well. Uh, we've had a good week again. We've got another episode of Retro Late Fee up. This time we look at the 1994 movie Intersection with Richard Gere and Sharon Stone, which is not a good movie. Spoilers. But we also never talk- heard of that. Yeah, it's not. It's not very good. It's like a drama movie uh, where he plays a architect who gets divorced from his wife after he has an affair with Lolita Davidovich, and um, then he can't decide between Lolita Davidovich and, and Sharon Stone, basically. And then he dies at the end. Spoilers, everybody. Huh. Um, but yeah, well, you know it's going to be a good movie if Sharon Stone's in it. <laughs> right. But we also talk about um, uh, Married with Children and The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., which was one of my favorite shows Back in 1994, the only season that it was on. But uh, yeah, that was that was uh, it's a pretty fun episode. Check that out if you guys want. Uh, I guess into the news, the big news today is that the Oscar nominations came out today. I know Mike is super excited about that. (laughs) No, but uh, some uh, I guess a few snubs, according to people, the uh, that documentary about Fred Rogers, Won't You Be My Neighbor was not nominated for Best Documentary. And that's that's some people's favorite movie just period of the year that that's been doing well. And it's gotten a lot of awards at different uh, critics choice and, and things like that. Um, and Black Panther was nominated for Best Picture, which was a big surprise to some, although if you pay attention at all to the news, you know, you'll know that, uh, they've been lobbying the Marvels and Disney has been heavily, heavily lobbying to get Black Panther included in Best Picture. And as most of you probably know, and I guess it'll be a revelation to some children that listen to us, or just people not in the know. Uh, there's a lot of money and uh, favors and things like that that uh, you know trade hands behind the scenes in order to get these nominations. They don't, at least as far as I can tell, they don't necessarily influence who wins. But to get nominated, you've got to. You got to grease some palms, so I'm sure there was. was you know, they should get to help out with this. Uh, Harvey Weinstein, he's real good at that. <laughs> yeah, he's got a very greasy palm, as far as as far as I've heard. <laughs> but uh, Bohemian Rhapsody is nominated, and uh, uh, Remy Malek's nominated for Best Actor. No surprise that uh, alleged pederast. Uh, Brian Singer, who directed the film, is not nominated for Best Director. So, 
Yeah, he was left out, and that's he. You know, speaking of sexual perverts in Hollywood, did you uh, see that Bohemian Rhapsody? No, I haven't seen it yet. I will see all of them before the awards ceremony uh, on MichiganSportsAndEntertainment dot com. We do a like uh, Oscar predictions list: what should win, what will win, and that'll be about a week before the Oscars actually, uh, you know, are aired. And so for that, I'll, I'll end up seeing them all. But so far, I've only seen Roma and Black Panther in the Best Picture category. And Black Panther was okay. I don't think it should win Best Picture. Um, and Roma was good, but I have problems with that too. So I'm hoping that some of these other ones kind of uh, blow me away. But, you know, who knows? What's all? Uh, I have no clue what's even released last year. What's all nominated? Is that Fish fucking movie on there or is that last? <laughs> no, that one last year. <laughs> Okay. Um, no, let's see. Let me see if I can remember all eight because I don't have the list in front of me. But it's Roma, Black Panther, Black Klansman, the Spike Lee movie, um, uh, A Star Is Born, Bohemian Rhapsody. So the two movie ones or the two musical ones. Uh, let me think. What else? Green Book, The Favorite, and there's one I'm forgetting. What is it? Um. I can't remember off the top of my head, but those uh, that those are basically the uh, the nominations. And so I, I really want to see Green Book. I hear it's uh, very good, and I'd like also to see Black Klansman. Although, like you, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of Spike Lee's movies. So, well, yeah, my. I don't like him is because I don't think he's a very good director. The reason you don't like him is, uh, well, let's just not say what that reason. Is. <laughs> That's not true at all. Uh, you know, I, I don't like him, be, not because he's a Knicks fan. I don't like him because he's black. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, no, as long as it's clear. Vice is the the uh, the other one. The uh, that's uh, Christian Bale playing. Uh, Dick Cheney. Oh, Dick Cheney. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of when celebrities play other celebrities, but I, I, I don't think I'm going to see that one, and I haven't seen any of the other movies, and nothing will change about that statement. <laughs> but uh, no, I guess Christian Bale might have a uh, an inside track to win Best Actor because he gained weight and he put on some makeup to make himself look like Dick Cheney, and that's always the sign of the best actor out there. Right. <laughs> No, I think Remy Malik will will probably win. At least that's my feeling right now. He played Freddie Mercury, and everyone says he did a really great job. Of course, I don't know because I haven't seen that movie yet. But eventually, I will. You know, I'm like I said, Green Book. I'm interested in seeing, and I'm kind of interested in seeing Black Klansman. I really don't have much interest in seeing the other movies, but I will because I have to. But yeah, I, like I'm not. I'm not big on award like movies that win awards. There are some really good ones that I like, but I'm not huge into that. I, you know, I listened to another podcast because I'd been hearing uh, something about it, and I have a bone to pick with this podcast. I listened to a podcast called the Pop Culture Happy Hour, and with that title, I thought, okay, this is going to be a show that's kind of like our show where it's, you know, they they try to make it fun. They try to do jokes and stuff and everything. And then I looked it up and I listened to one episode of it and it's uh, from NPR, which, you know, when I think of uh, f- frolicking good time, I think NPR. <laughs> yeah. And 
Guess when what? I was in, uh, remember when we were in high school and we'd stay up late at night and uh, listen to NPR? Yeah, exactly. So I listened to it and it's just the same, you know, like serious uh, movie geek. And like, I, I didn't even want to say movie geek because it's not, they're, they're uh, like snobbish critics. You know what I mean? People that, that only pay attention to things that most general audiences don't even care about or notice really minute details and the minutia of filmmaking. And they really, these are people that are, that are geeks about cinematography and, and things like that. And they remember the uh, good old days when geeks were those who bit heads off of chickens. Yeah, that's right. In the circus. Yes, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, so I didn't uh, really enjoy it because I don't, you know, like, there's a place for that. There absolutely is a place for that, and there are people who like uh, listening to that, and it's good to have those voices out there. But there are so many of them, and it just, it's it's so tedious to me. So I don't like the fact that they titled their, their show The Pop Culture Happy Hour because... It's not in any way. There's nothing happy about a bunch of film <laughs> about a bunch of film wonks sitting around and saying like, uh, oh, you know, and, and it's all like all the the ultra political correct stuff and everything. It just it drives me nuts. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, to, it's a shame the uh, government hasn't shut down NPR in the interim. Right, exactly. Yeah, where are they getting their funding from? Not viewers like me. Um. Anyway, so... Well, you didn't spend $500 for a fucking backpack? Right, exactly. But uh, the... Uh, and, you know, I, I also, real quick, I dislike that NPR kind of dominates the podcast market. When I hear people talk about um, talk about different NPR podcasts, like Serial, which I like, you know, I, I at least I liked the first season, and I'm liking the... Oh, th- really? And I, yeah, I, I, I'm liking the third I, season. I gave up on Serial, like, two episodes in. It was just... Just not like some woman telling a boring story, right? Well, that they, I, I have, I can have some problems with uh, true crime podcasts too, a little bit because it's like, uh, hey, let's uh, endlessly speculate on this crime and and maybe uh, cast suspicion on completely innocent people. But uh, anyway, um, but yeah, I don't like how they dominate. Uh, Pod, you know the podcasting world. It's all very corporate. You know they've got they got millions of dollars behind them. Uh, you know with all their uh, fancy production and editing equipment stuff. It's like give us a give us a chance too. You know, but anyway. So the other uh, well, another big piece of news, I guess, is that they ha- we have a partial guest list now for Star Wars Celebration 2019. That's basically Comic Con, but it's all Star Wars stuff. And it's, uh, they hold it every year in California. So right now we have uh, Greg Grunberg, who is in The Force Awakens. Dave Chapman, who uh, is a puppeteer for BB-8, Rio Durant, and Lady Proxima. Uh, What's Greg- this guy going to fucking talk about? Right. Oh, you're a puppeteer, huh? <laughs> I pulled the strings. Uh, it's a Ed Wood reference. Greg Proops, uh, who is uh, com- obviously a comedian, used to be on Whose Line Is It Anyway. He, apparently, he's a voice actor in Star Wars Resistance. Paul Casey. I think, I think he was in The Phantom Menace, too. It was like the two-headed monster thing. Yes, that's right. He did the he did the voice of the uh, announcer for the pod race. <laughs> 
Paul Casey's going to be there uh, from The Force Awakens and Rogue One. Don't know him. Ian McElney, uh, Rogue One actor, and Orly Shoshan, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith actress. And if you care about this, if, if this story really uh, if piqued your interest, then I... Then I um, I recommend that you take some vitamin D supplements because you obviously don't get out very much. <laughs> I just like I saw that story and I was and I I I was like I'm going to include this because there are some people that care about this, but the first thing I thought is who gives a shit? <laughs> With that, they're saving the biggest guess for another list. Right? Yeah, the biggest guess is that. I, I don't know. I, I, I legitimately don't know. <laughs> no, I assume Adam Driver and, and uh, like all the big actors will be there. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. They might bring George Lucas back again. They brought him back last year. Oh, it's weird. Yeah, I know. It is really weird. It's like... Don't you think if, uh, if your neighbor was George Lucas, you'd have some suspicions? Oh, yes. Absolutely. He's some uh, some old guy who wears flannel all the time who's obsessed with toys. No kidding. Oh, I bet he drives a windowless van, too. But, uh, but yeah, having him back last year was really weird because it's kind of like, uh, I guess it's kind of like if your parents got divorced and your mom brought uh, the new guy over for Christmas. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like your dad's there, too. And it's, I don't know, it's just weird. But um, yeah, the uh, more Marvel news or well Disney news because Disney owns everything now. The rest of this news is Disney news except for uh, one thing that I think you might actually uh, care about at the end. We'll see. But uh, Black Widow is going to start filming at the end of February, uh, from what they say. What, what does Black Widow even do? Doesn't she just like shoot guns? Yeah, she is a former. Uh, a Hydra agent, basically, like she was brainwashed as a kid by Hydra, and then she broke her programming. I guess somehow I don't. It's it's not fully explained. And basically, she works for Shield as, or she worked for Shield as a vigilante. Now she's a member of the Avengers, even though she has absolutely. I guess her superpower is being able to do that somersault thing where she grabs a guy's neck with her legs and then twists. Wow! But um, people have been calling for the black a black widow solo movie for a long time because i guess cuz people like scarlett johansson and they want more female led um superhero movies because the MCU doesn't have a lot of female characters in general and captain marvel will be their first that comes out in march oh, that's another shit hero <laughs> right that'll be their first um female led superhero film but um you know, I think I can see the argument, though. I can't really think of any good female superheroes, especially in the uh, Marvel universe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, Marvel uh, Marvel has has had a long history of not having good characters, even in the comic books, not having good female characters. Yeah, I mean, some of the X-Men are okay. Like, Rogue's all right. Yeah. Storm. Hard, it's hard to, harder to do a, a, um, a, uh, a solo, like, Rogue or Storm movie, though, I think. Because, uh, I mean, I suppose you could do it, but they don't, they will have the rights to the X-Men uh, characters when they buy Fox later this year, when they finish the uh, the purchase of that, but they don't now. 
Yeah, I, I saw. Uh, actually, I have quite a few uh, topics from this. Uh, the previews I saw at the uh, the movie we'll be talking about later, um, Glass. Okay. I saw a preview for Dark Phoenix. Oh yes. Did you? Yeah, and it was uh, what's her name, Sophie Turner, maybe. I think that's her name. Yeah. Sansa, the lady who plays Sansa Stark. Yeah. She is not a good choice for Jean Grey at all. I agree. I don't know why she just does. It's just annoying seeing her as Jean Grey. Yeah, and that's you know that's a um, that's a big that's a big storyline the uh, the Dark Phoenix storyline. Anyone that's a fan of the X Men comics or even uh, the X Men animated stuff that was out in the nineties, that Dark Phoenix storyline is a huge. Uh, an important X-Men story and yeah, getting it right. It, it's going to be one of those things where it's like, kind of like Batman V Superman, the, you know, Batman fighting Superman is, was a big storyline too in DC way back when, and they really fucked that up. And I have a feeling that they're going to fuck this up too. Yeah. It's, it's really weird. Like I like the actors that are in it. I like, um, what's his name? Uh, James Marsden. He's pretty good as a young professor X. Yep. I like, uh, what's that German guy's name? Diedrich Bader, probably. No, uh, I think you're talking about, <laughs> I think you're talking about, um, oh, what is, what is his name? Damn it. Bruncho, maybe. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch, I think. Well, Benedict Cumberbatch is English, but yeah. yeah what the fuck is this guy's name? But it's not Benedict Cumberbatch. It's, um, uh, Michael Fassbender. Yeah, he's he's I like him in general. He's really good in um one of my favorite movies. Um, what the fuck's it called? Uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yes, I like him in that a lot. Even though he's in it very briefly, he's really good in that. Mm-hmm. And I, he's a he's a good choice for um uh, Magneto. Uh, Magneto. He matches up really well with uh, Professor. Yeah, and I mean, but it's just like the movies that I've seen; they're so bad. I, I mean, they're really really bad movies. The Age of Apocalypse. I I could barely. I just stopped watching at a certain point because I have no idea what the hell's going on. It's just computer-generated ge- images fighting computer-generated images. Yeah, that's the... I, I don't care about a bunch of fake Sentinels killing a bunch of fake X-Men or whatever the fuck they were doing. Yeah, it's the Transformers problem, where it's just CGI crashing into each other on a screen. Yeah, and then what was the other one? Oh, uh, uh, shit. Days of Future Past, that was similarly bad. That was not good either. It was just... They just like basically like okay oh so he goes in the future they just you know basically don't pay any attention to the comic whatsoever and it's just so again it's like oh look it's there's like entire like long scenes where it's just computers and I don't care for that yeah you know one of the problems that I have with the X Men movies is one of my least favorite X Men is Wolverine and I don't I don't like I don't hate Wolverine or anything I don't think he's a terrible character or anything like that but um, he was always super popular. And I never, like, really liked or embraced him. And the X-Men movies are all, basically all about Wolverine. Yeah, they're very Wolverine-heavy. I always like Gambit. He's not even in them, I don't think. Like, maybe there's characters that are similar to him. I don't even recall. Yeah, Gambit was always one of my favorites. And that's, I think, because instead of really getting into the comic books, I liked the 90s cartoon. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and- one of my 
most a lot of my X Men like stuff that I first got into was that cartoon. Yeah, and he was, and uh, I find that people that like that cartoon really like Gambit because it was a really good interpretation of the Gambit character. So yeah, the, he's he's one of my favorites, and they for whatever reason they haven't been able to to get that character off the ground live action. But yeah, so, yeah, you think that would be a no brainer, but it's uh, apparently not. Right. And at one point they wanted Channing Tatum to play him. And I was, I I was thinking like, God, Channing Tatum is just, I, it's such a bad choice to, for Gambit because he doesn't look like Gambit at all. Was he going to lose 60 pounds to play Gambit? Yeah, that's a problem with um, with Wolverine too. It's so weird because the, every reason like kids, you know, young kids like him is because he's like this little scrappy guy, you know, who's like, you know, just kicks everyone's ass. But he's like, Hugh, Jack- Hugh Jackman is like the tallest person in the entire movie and he's playing the smallest guy that's so yeah he's supposed to be like five foot three or something like that yeah it doesn't seem like a big deal but i mean when you see the characters in perspective in comics you know for years and years and years and you look at it and it's completely different in the movie it's just jarring in a lot of ways yeah because the the small stature gives him more of like a scrappy underdog kind of feel to the character and when you see and i, I think hugh jackman's a very good actor i like hugh jackman yeah but, he's really good in spite of the fact that he's nothing like the character right yeah and that's that's kind of part of the problem that i have with the those x-men movies so i haven't really been able to get uh, like really into them but yeah but uh this is the next story is sort of related to the x-men in a way it's uh deadpool that's good for us it's deadpool 3 deadpool is you know a a, a sometimes uh addition to the x-men universe obviously he exists in the x-men universe and everything uh ryan reynolds says that deadpool 3 is going to be completely different from the other films that it's going to go in a a very different direction and he said he had a quote let me find this quote he said um he told uh he was speaking to a reporter on uh on his promotional tour for Deadpool 3 and he says often they reboot or change a character maybe like four movies too late so he's intimating that they're going to make changes now some people are worried that these changes are going to be because the next Deadpool movie, Deadpool 3, will likely come out when Disney owns the character. And people are worried that they're going to sort of neuter the character, make him less, uh, you know, less uh, pro- profanity-driven uh, and less violence. Uh, so I don't know what to say. I don't really have any interest in another Deadpool movie. I mean, I think it'd be really fun if they just took the character and had him do like cameos in different Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. That'd be like fun, but another entire movie dedicated to the same character who's kind of like risque. I mean, not really, but I mean, as far as movies go, it's like, oh, he said fuck. You know, it's like, holy smokes. Right. Yeah. The- like any adult who, you know, watches like stand up comedy or really bad is just not even like, you know, noticing the language. But it's like, okay, you're going to do this kind of like kind of on the borderline of being, you know, risky or something. And it's, you're going to do the same thing all movie. Yeah. The only thing that I could see that I'd be maybe interested in is if they did a full blown X-Force movie where, you know, you bring back Domino, you bring in Cable, you bring yeah, in, I, would see, I might see that. Yeah. You bring in those people and it's, and, and, uh, Deadpool's in the movie, but his story is not the driving force of the movie. 
that it's more about the formation of this X-Force. And like you said, I have a I have an interest in seeing him. Could you imagine him in the event like in the Avengers just showing up cuz he's so different? No, I, I couldn't imagine him. I've never seen the Avengers. But he's so yeah, that's true. But he's so he's so different. Like those movies are fun and they have jokes in them and everything, but they they take the threats and they take everything really seriously and if he had a cameo in one of those movies, I think, you know, some people are worried that it would, quote, break the universe or whatever because of his his meta, um, you know, like his, his meta commentary and stuff like that. But I think they could do it in a way where it would be really fun and refreshing and, you know, obviously not in the movie for a long period of time, but just uh, like a cameo, I think that would be great. And that's the way to use him. I, I agree. Just show up in movies here and there and... Uh, you know, like lighten the tone a little bit. I think that would be good. And what, you know what Ryan Reynolds should do? Uh, since if he won't be making full time like Deadpool movies, he should uh, try and do the uh, Green Lantern. I agree. I'm not being funny now. Now that he has like more like you know clout and that sort of stuff, and you know he could probably demand a higher budget. And DC is just like begging for like a great movie. You know, I mean they just can't. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Aquaman, and I'm not going to. But the ones I've seen are even worse than Marvel movies, and that's pretty impressive. Oh yeah, the DC movies are not. I've seen all the Marvel movies or all the MCU movies and I've seen I think all of the DC movies with the exception of Wonder Woman and Justice League. Yeah, those are the two that I those and and Aquaman. Though I still need to see those three movies, but I don't you know, those are ones that I don't even try to really keep up on because they're yeah. so bad. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, like, hire even, like, that, uh, what's his name, the guy who did uh, John Favre or whatever, who did, like, yeah. the Iron Man movie. You know, hire him and have it, like, you know, look a lot more realistic, like, graphic-wise. You know, you could probably do a pretty good movie if you paid him enough, which you should be able to pay him enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of good ideas that they could explore with Green Lantern. There, cause there, and there are multiple different iterations of Green Lantern. Yeah, the Green Lantern use. is almost like the Guardians of the Galaxy type genre spanning, you know, thing that it is in Marvel. It's like, you know, a huge, like, you know, outer space. You're fighting, like, these super powerful enemies and that kind of stuff. You could, like, have, like, a whatever the equivalent of, like, Thanos is to the uh, DC universe. Just throw that in there and, you know, you should probably, you know, get a few good movies out. Yeah, they, I, I agree. I think that they could, I think they could make a really cool, fun uh, film uh, based on the Green Lantern, but... I mean, there's still. I think there's still a little snake bit. Who? But eventually, we're gonna get one because he's part of the Justice League. So, I, eventually, they're gonna make one. I just hope they don't. Yeah, make I think. Yeah, uh, Ryan. I think Ryan would be a good. Well, depending on which, there's so many different Green Lanterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Guy Guy Gardner and um, Hal uh, Jordan. Yeah. Hal Sparks, the son. <laughs> right. So the last bit of news that I have is uh, the one that I think you might be somewhat interested in. They've been talking about doing a movie or a reboot of The Highlander uh, as a film. And, <laughs> and now Chad uh, Chad Staliski, who's the director, is thinking that there's so much um, material here that he wants to make this into a TV show, like a limited <laughs> series on Netflix or something like that. What? How much material is around the Highlander? I don't know. Or Immortal. We chop off each other's heads and get each other's powers. <laughs> there you go. That's it. But uh... Universe explored. <laughs> 
You know, it's funny too because the original movie, as I'm sure you know, they they were immortals. There can only be one. Stuff like that. And then Highlander Two: The Quickening. They, you know, they needed to bring other people back and everything. So they tried to explain that they were like aliens and yeah. shit like that. I mean, it just it got really it got really convoluted really quickly. Yeah, that's an example of a very bad sequel. <laughs> yeah, and then and here's the problem is I think if he, quote, has too much material to explore, then I think he's really going to wonk things up with, uh, with you know, the Highlander universe. Because to me, those movies, and I'm not a big fan of Highlander or, you know, those necessarily that genre of film. but No one is. But I think the only way that it works is if it's kind of a straightforward, easy-to-follow story. And if you start mixing a lot of mythology and and other aspects, aliens and other aspects into it, it gets real convoluted real quick and people can't follow it. So I don't know about that. Did you know that uh, 40% of uh, Highlander fans wear own trench coats? (laughs) That would not surprise me at all. (laughs) You can't prove that one wrong. (laughs) Oh my God. But, uh, Obviously, you haven't been watching The Highlander recently, but uh, now we're to our segment, What We've Been Watching. So uh, this week, we'll talk about uh, things that we've been watching. I've been getting into some older stuff recently this week. I have continued to watch Glow, which I like, and uh, BoJack Horseman. Both of those, I think, are very good. Yeah, I'm thinking I might start that BoJack Horseman, but I'm not a big Mark Maron fan, so I'm going to avoid Glow. Okay. Um, but I've also been watching House. Uh, I that the when I told you that I had the um the horror movie, right? No, no, that's I like House too, though. I remember that from the eighties. Oh God, House too. But um, no, the the television uh, show House starring Hugh Laurie. Uh, I have that YouTube TV, and in addition to having the DVR thing that I told you about where you can just record whatever, they also have like a sort of like an on-demand feature where even if it's stuff you haven't recorded, you can kind of go into their archives. You can search for different shows. They don't have everything, obviously, but they have, uh, you know, like full full seasons of certain different shows that have been on network television, and, they're not, and, and some cable shows, but not... Like, no, it's not like HBO. They don't have, like, The Sopranos or anything like that. So you're saying they don't have every television show ever made ever. Correct. I know. It's, it's such a ripoff. But wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Do they have You Can't Do That on Television? Oh, I don't know. I've never tried to look that one up. I bet they yeah, do. I don't think anyone has. But, um, anyway, so, uh, so I've been watching House recently. I started at the beginning. And I'll tell you, that... That was a really, really good show for about the first three seasons. And then it just went off the rails. Yeah, I just started watching it like in the second season. It was just on. I'm like, okay, I'll watch this, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Then I would like, I would be going to school at the time. So when I got home, I'd just watch, watch it because it was on. And then like, I missed enough. So I'm like, eh, I didn't, you know, I got to catch up. I got to see what I missed, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I. I I, I did see that later the formula kind of changed, and I really hate that when you have like a, almost like a procedural type show, and then it's like, oh look, they're dating now. It's like I don't care. I'm not watching this to watch people date. Yeah, exactly. Like CSI did that quite a bit. 
Yeah, and it's just, it's it's unfortunate, but it's because it's one of those ones where, um, <laughs> where it really did do what it did very well. And even like the soap opera uh, elements of it worked. And then they just destroyed the, they just destroyed everything. <laughs> and they just it like destroyed time. reality, really. Yeah. Oh yeah, and they. I mean, he had he had like a like a like a uh, what do you call it like a fucking uh, you know sixty four thousand dollar pyramid style contest to find out who his next resident's gonna be. Yes. What? Like, all right, well, he's a brilliant uh, he's a brilliant doctor. We gotta let him do this one. Yeah, it was like it was like Survivor almost, where he and would that, eliminate someone every week. There you go. That's a much better analogy. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a whole season, or like there's an episode where he's like, "Oh, I have a migraine. I'll take LSD," and so he does. And then his migraine goes away, and it's like, "Okay, you're doing that at the hospital you work at, and you made it in the laboratory there." Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things that, and the things that I think worked. What the things that they tweaked that I think work is they would have an episode uh, here and there usually about maybe one a season or something where they tried something that was really cool and innovative and different, same format, like same procedure, but in a, a slightly different way. And there's one where in the first season, it's called three stories. It's one of the best episodes of the show where uh, house is roped into teaching a class because they're a teaching hospital. So he, and it's a class on diagnostics. So, so he, goes through three stories where each person presented with leg pain. That was their initial presentation. And something was wrong with each of these people. And one of them was his. It's basically the story of how he, how, how he, his leg got injured and how he kind of became himself. But what's cool about it is, as they go in there, you know, he's also commenting on it. When the students talk, they're in the scene as well, even though they're not you know, really there. So it's the way it's presented visually is very interesting. And there was one, I think it was in season five, maybe that was called locked in, uh, most deaf, the rapper, he, um, he guest starred in it and he was suffering from what's called, it's very rare, obviously, but what's called locked in syndrome where he is still cognizant. He's still aware and everything, but he's basically paralyzed throughout his entire body because of some underlying disease. And most of the episode takes place from his point of view and the camera is, you know, from his point of view, watching everyone as they, as they talk about him and stuff like that. And it's really, it's really interesting. And there's, there's a, there's some funny lines in it uh, from most F2. They're doing brain surgery on him uh, at one point, And one of the doctors is holding up cards and he goes, is this equation correct? And it says two plus two is five equals five. And he, all he can do is blink. That's the only, you know, that's all he can do is blink once for yes and twice for no. And he just, but you hear his voiceover, you know, like thinking in his head and he goes, wait, so there's something that you could do that would make me not know that. <laughs> and it's just, that's a pretty frightening thought. <laughs> so they're doing yeah, great surgery at him. This whole discussion is bothering me. Just the idea, uh, just really creeps me out. Yeah, and and house can be like that too. If you if you have anxiety uh, like I do, or if you uh, have any kind of hypochondria, it's probably not the show for you to watch because 
obviously they deal with lots of different diseases and symptoms and stuff like that. But, uh, but I've been enjoying, I've been enjoying watching it again. Uh, I'm on season two right now. Between sheer bouts of terror. <laughs> right. <laughs> Running to uh, WebMD to make sure that I don't have uh Hey honey, lupus. it's not AIDS. <laughs> so anyways, what's Cuddy up to this episode? Right. But, uh, yeah. It's funny, because one of the last episodes that I watched, the guy did have AIDS. Was it most deaf, and that's why he couldn't move? <laughs> no. No, it was... Uh, I can't... The actor is no one famous, so I'm not sure who he is. They, although they do have some people that uh, on there that have gone on to do a lot of other stuff, too. Um, what, what was wrong with most deaf, anyways? He had... Uh, let me try to remember. I think it was... Uh, rat bite fever or something like that. He huh. he ended up because he was doing another. He was li- he lied to his wife because he he had his own business and his business wasn't doing as well as he let her know. He didn't want to worry her. That's why he didn't tell her the truth. So he was doing another job at night, uh, sweeping, and he got bit by a rats that he didn't he didn't realize it and uh i can't remember the name of the infection but there's an infection that you can get from that and that led to his uh like a lesion on the brain which led to his locked in syndrome and they ended up curing him but um but yeah something like that on this episode of massive late fee mike and mark discuss a 10-year episode of house md <laughs> Yeah, this is going to get a lot of listens. Um, <laughs> Hugh but, Laurie. Yeah, Hugh, Hugh Laurie. Hugh Laurie is great in, in how I, I love, I, I like him in pretty much everything that he does. Not that he's done for for some reason. 101 Dalmatians? No, no. I, I, I do remember him in that movie, though. But, uh, you know, he, he's really good in house. And I don't know if anyone. Uh, the. I don't know if a lot of our listeners have seen it, probably not, but there was a series in the, I believe it started in the 80s, uh, in England on the BBC called... Is it yep. Faulty Towers or The Black Ass? I know he's in one of those. Black uh, Adder. Black Adder, that's right. Is it was him with Rowan Atkinson? Yes. Rowan Atkinson started the show, and basically, it's, it's really... Uh, here's one of the things I love about the show. First of all, Rowan Atkinson, if you only know him as Mr. Bean, you're missing out on a lot of of his uh, his career because he is a very funny actor. But, um, Catch him in all four episodes of the entire four seasons. <laughs> right. But, uh, <laughs> it is very limited like that. But the um, the basically the idea of... The show is that he plays a guy whose last name is Black Adder, and each season is a different part of European history. It starts off like very far in the past, and with each iter and and in each one he plays a different descendant of uh, of this Black Adder of the of the original Black Adder guy. Oh, that sounds kind of interesting, actually. So, like, it starts off way back in the past, and what's funny is. Um, he, in the, like, he's like, uh, an heir to the throne in the first one, but he's also incredibly dumb. And with each one, with each season, his station in society gets lower and he gets smarter. 
<laughs> so at the end, like the last one, Blackadder goes forth, takes place during World War One, and he is, I think, a captain or a lieutenant in the army, uh, the British army, and he's like the only guy that realizes the futility and the barbaricness of what they're doing. Like, you know, losing a thousand guys to, to march two inches and stuff like that. And everyone else around him gets kind of like dumber. And Hugh Laurie, I believe starts in season two or season three. I think it's season two uh, where he plays um, kind of like his, his like best friend or whatever in each of these subsequent things. He also is a, I I can't remember if he's also a descendant or if he just plays a different character each season, but it's, it's, there, there are seasons that are better than others. The the last season Blackadder goes forth, I think is the best season, but, um, Hmm. and obviously there are episodes that are better than other episodes, but it's a really interesting show. And it's, it's a really, it's a really funny black comedy. Huh? And, and Hugh Laurie is really good in it too. He's very funny. So yeah, I would I would recommend anyone check uh, check out Blackadder if you can find it. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, the the First World War, here's a weird question that uh, you might know the answer to. Okay. All right. During the Second World War, what were they referring to the Second World War as? Uh, okay. So obviously, like at what point did they start calling it World War Two? Right. I believe. That started in the 60s um, when they started m- making, uh, when they started making. Like, oh, yeah, I guess the whole world was a war, huh? <laughs> well, they started making more documentaries and stuff about it and everything. Obviously, for the longest time, uh, the um, World War One was called the Great, the Great war. war. Yeah. Um, and then World War Two, I think. It's called the Greater War. <laughs> The oh. really great war. I mean, this war was amazing. I think, like, um, they, they, I think they referred to it a lot as the war in Europe and the war in the Pacific when they were when they were doing that. Um, but uh, yeah, the real war was at home. <laughs> I know that uh, they started calling World War One. World War One, uh, almost immediately when World War Two started, because it was like in June. It was a newspaper uh, in June of 1939, after war had been declared. Uh, we hadn't entered, obviously, but war had been declared, and they started. You know who uh, never entered was those Scandinavians. That's true. Some say they aided and abetted the Germans and the Russians. I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> oh my gosh. But uh but yeah, so you know, I know that they started calling it that in 39. I'm not exactly sure when the origin of of World War 2, you know, started. Okay. So short answer, you don't know. Yeah, the short answer is I don't know, but um I know I know when the when they start calling it the first world war. I guess maybe they started calling it World War II immediately. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. Could be. Cuz like I said by by 39 they they had uh they had already coined that term World War 1, so I don't know. But yeah, I think uh that's as close You're welcome. As close as I can get to an answer. 
Speaking of uh, things that were not close and have no answer as to why they were made, on this edition of Educating Mike, I think, I, I don't know if you've seen this movie, but I'm sure you're at least sort of aware of this movie. We're going to talk about the Garbage Pail Kids movie. I have seen this movie. From 1987. Yeah, that was not a good movie. I, uh, I, have you seen, when was the last time you saw it? 1987. Yep, I went to the theater. Just I, I distinctly remember going to the theater to see this. You know, I, I could be wrong. It could have been, it was when it was first out on video. I saw it like one time and then that's all I ever saw it. I went to see it in the theater. I remember my aunt took me and it was probably the first time that I realized that movies could be bad. <laughs> like, huh, that's, that's an interesting point. I don't know the first movie I thought that I thought was bad. Cause you know, up until that point I had just watched movies I liked and you know, if my parents brought a movie home or something like that, it was, you know, if I watched it with them, it was something that that they thought I would like. So they didn't show me crappy movies. Sure. So, yeah, this was the first one I was like, oh, I guess I guess movies can be bad, too. <laughs> Get up and walk away. But uh, the plot of this film. <laughs> uh, a garbage can spaceship is seen flying near Earth. The same garbage can is then shown inside an antique shop owned by Captain Manzini, although it is never shown how or when the can got into the shop, let alone the garbage can's origin. Which is true. We never know where uh, the Garbage Pail Kids come from. We never know how they get into this shop. We don't know anything about Like, there's nothing explained. Sort of like the Mogwai kind of. Yeah. A boy named Dodger is being assaulted by four older teenage bullies in a park. Juice, the leader... Remember in the uh, good old days when a big assault meant you were being beaten up? Yes! Yeah! And nowadays, I heard it like he was being assaulted. I'm like, whoa! <laughs> I don't know if you want to put that in a kid's movie. They had a broomstick and uh, it just it did not go in the right place. <laughs> But, uh, so a boy named Dodger's being assaulted by four four older teenage bullies in a park. Juice, the leader, steals Dodger's money and drops him in a puddle. And this, this is, there, I saw this movie somewhat recently. There, there couldn't be a more 80s sequence than when they're beating him up and they throw him in the puddle inside. Just from the clothes to the music to the, to how it's shot, it's... Dodger goes to Mancini's antique shop where he works. Manzini takes Dodger's clothes <laughs> and cleans them. Oh, you were assaulted, hey? <laughs> he does, too. He takes his clothes, and the boy's just sitting there in his underwear <laughs> in the antique shop while he washes them. I used to own a bike shop, you know. <laughs> I had to sell it after two boys accused me of uh, of showing them dirty Some, movies. Uh... <laughs> yes. <laughs> so one of them uh the great danny cooksey from terminator 2 that's right or was sam in there i don't remember probably I, not i think so yeah see i thought he was a later character oh i can't remember now like when you saw him on screen you're like oh okay this show is about to be wrapping up in a few years <laughs> right yeah that always happens happened with um the brady bunch and uh um What's that? Uh, growing pains and stuff. Yeah. 
What's odd though is uh, it didn't happen with Married with Children, and the person that took over was Ted McGinley, like the king of like ruining shows. Yeah, like it's funny because you mentioned that earlier. I, I would <laughs> I would wager in an instant that he was on more seasons than there are seasons without him on it for Married with Children because it went like nine or ten seasons in it. I think it went eleven seasons, and I'm pretty sure yes that he was on more than half of them. Yeah, Steve like left pretty early on. Yeah. But, uh, okay, so he's got his clothes off. Um, Manzini tells him to stay away from the garbage can. Later, Dodger sees Tangerine Juice's girlfriend. <laughs> so, <laughs> really good names here. You sound so dark. Stay away from the garbage can. You can't see what's in there. Tangerine and Juice. Uh, okay, so who seems to be the most compassionate member of the group towards Dodger. And he tries to persuade her to buy something from the shop. Dodger is attracted to Tangerine and covertly smells her hair while she is distracted. <laughs> Which is God. just the just the least creepy form of uh, a way you could show that he likes Tangerine. You know he's just going to be pounding off later thinking about that. <laughs> I love the smell of Tangerine's hair! The other bullies enter the shop and attempt to rough up Dodger again, but he manages to outwit them. They don't tell us how. (laughs) However, during the tussle, the garbage can is knocked over and a green ooze spills out. The bullies then bring Dodger into a sewer, handcuff him to a rail, and open a pipe pouring sewage onto him. (laughs) So, didn't really outwit them very well. Oh my god, there's bullying and there's putting toxic waste on your body. (laughs) Seriously. It's like, come on, guys, cut it out. (laughs) Dodger is then saved by little mysterious people named the Garbage Pail Kids. Manzini returns and is upset that the Garbage Pail Kids have been released from their can. It's like he's just keeping them prisoner. But he introduces Dodger. They're the souls of all the uh, children he saved. (laughs) Right. We've all been molested. But you're he, fine now. You're safe with me. <laughs> but he introduces Dodger to each of them. Greaser Greg is a leather jacket clad greaser with a violent attitude. Messy Tessie is a girl with a constantly runny nose. Windy Winston is an insane boy who wears a Hawaiian shirt and often farts violently. <laughs> not loudly. Oh, wow, that's insane. Not, not loudly, violently. <laughs> <laughs> that is a much better word. On his card, he was depicted as a nervous musician. Valerie Vomit is a girl who throws up on command. That's a great power. Foul Phil is a whiny, hungry... I think that's called bulimia, Valerie. Right. Yeah, Valerie Vomit was played by Callista Flockhart. (laughs) Foul Phil is a whining, hungry baby with halitosis who constantly asks characters if they are his mommy or daddy. Oh, that could be annoying. Right. It's good to have a power that can not be depicted whatsoever on uh, screen. Oh my god, your breath (laughs) smells. Nat Nerd is an obese, acne-riddled boy who dresses up like a superhero and wets his pants frequently. So any uh, Marvel fan... (laughs) 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 No, I'm I'm joking, Marvel fans. That's not how I feel. Tell your moms we're joking, okay? (laughs) And Allie Gator, the group's leader, is an anthropomorphic half-person, half-alligator who has an appetite for human toes. What? Yeah. Why would they have that be the leader? This is like the most difficult character to animate as a half-alligator person. Right. 
Maybe they had that elf guy in a puppet suit. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Chompers. Manzini explains that the kids are forbidden from going out in public because they'll be attacked by the quote normies, and then it, and then it, in parentheses it puts normal people. I think oh. I, could, I think I could figure that out. Yeah, I think you could have got that one. I thought by normies they just meant people named Norm. <laughs> or Norm McDonald fans. Right. <laughs> I consider myself a normie. Yeah, me too. And that he can't uh, get to the kids to go back in the garbage can without magic. So, apparently he learned magic at some point because right. he, he got the kids into the garbage can. But he needs The some... only thing that works on aliens is magic. Yeah. Remember. The next day, Dodger goes with Tangerine to a nightclub where she sells clothes she designed. Now, this is what? this is hilarious too because what she does is she designs these clothes, puts them in a garbage bag, drives her car to the back door of a nightclub and then just kind of goes in and lets everyone know, "Hey, uh, I've got clothes out here for sale." And people come out there and in droves. Yeah, and buy buy like different girls come out there and buy buy her clothes. Some of them just put them on right there and go back into the club with new clothes. They're like, "Oh, this is so radical." You know, like it's it's <laughs> it's also very 80s. Well, that's crazy. She puts them in a garbage bag, but I'm sure that won't come up ever again in this uh, movie. <laughs> but it's just, it's so weird because, um, you know, it's like, like yeah, every teenage girl, you know, designed clothes in the 80s and uh, sold them. And, uh, <laughs> were they, were and, they bedazzled? Yeah, a lot of them were, yep. <laughs> Dodger behaves awkwardly when Tangerine removes her shirt to sell it. Oh, I thought you were going to say when Tangerine asked him why he was in the bathroom so long when she came to get him earlier. <laughs> Is that my shampoo you're using? Yeah, someone says they want Tangerine's shirt, so she takes it off and sells it to them. She's trying to save up money to move to California because she wants to be a fashion designer. That's her plot. Well, I mean, obviously. I also want to point out that um, Dodger looks to be about 11 or 12 years old or something like that. And Tangerine is like 17 or 18. Uh, so the whole thing's kind of weird. But anyway, wait, just real quick question. Uh, should I update my Chrome by restarting right now? I don't think so. Okay. I'll do that later then. <laughs> Dodger then hides, uh, uh, Dodger then hides when juice shows up. Meanwhile, the kids steal a Pepsi truck which has got to be a great product placement there. <laughs> Flatten cured my vomiting. <laughs> Flatten Juice's car with it, and then have a campfire in an alley with stolen food. What? Does anybody have a normal name in this movie, by the way? No. No, we got Dodger, Juice, Tangerine, Mr. Manzini. Manzini is the most normal name in this movie. Okay, we know what a duty you're pushing now. <laughs> The next morning, the garbage pail kids recover from a food-induced hangovers. Yeah, they 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 act like they're hungover from eating too much sugar. I, I don't know what? who I don't know who that's for. Who yeah? Who would put this in a kids' movie? Is what I'm wondering. Um, and they give Dodger a jacket they sewed. The jacket impresses Tangerine, and she asks Dodger to get more clothes so she can sell them. Wow! So much for her goals to be a designer. The kids make more clothes for Dodger after stealing a sewing machine and singing an annoying song about working together. Even the person writing this, <laughs> even the person writing this can't stand it anymore. 
Oh man, I gotta hear that song now. But then get bored and decide to wear disguises to go out in public. They go to a theater. What play. are they going to disguise themselves as? I, you know, they put like it's it's like three on the other shoulders or something. I mean, because aren't they like really short? Yeah, they they are really short, and it's super obvious that they are not human. And beings. Is it one of them a alligator? Yes, but basically they just they put on like hats and overcoats, so the laziest disguises. Mr. Manzini had a lot of those laying around, huh? Yes. <laughs> Overcoats and nothing else. <laughs> they go to a theater playing the Three Stooges uh, and behave obnoxiously. So like the Three Stooges. Uh, Allie and Winston go to a bar where they start a fight, which was caused by Allie eating someone's toes. So, so they really started that fight. That is, that, is a, that is one of the most common ways to start a fight. Right? Just go in and eat someone's toes. Hey, you want to fight or something? <laughs> so they start this fight with bikers who are soon won over by the kids' heroics, after which they celebrate with beers. What? <laughs> yeah, so the bikers become friends with the garbage pail kids because they think they're tough, I guess. I don't know. Is, is this movie... Is, who is this geared towards? I don't understand who would watch this movie and say, "Hey, I, I like that part." Apparently, they they apparently they made it for no one. <laughs> so, meanwhile, Tangerine sells the clothes and begins to prepare for a fashion show based on them. Yeah, somebody comes up and says they want uh, her to do a fashion show with her clothes. You know, after the huge success of her selling them in an alley. <laughs> She meets the kids and is repulsed by them, but realizes that she can take advantage of their designs. The whole plot of this movie is basically to make them child servants. Pretty much. To make clothes. It's it's to exploit them, the the manufacturers of the toys. If this was a smarter movie, I would think that they were trying to make a commentary on the fashion industry and the child labor that, that they exploit, but I know that they weren't thinking about that at all. My favorite part is that the uh, girl, Tangerine, is like saving all her money up to move to California, you know, which is a hubbub of uh, fashion design. Right. Yeah, exactly. And she dreams of being a designer. Right. But then at the same time, like, as soon as she finds someone who makes something better than her, she's just like, eh, fuck it, I'll take that. I don't, want, I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'm 15. My dreams are dead. <laughs> I wonder if the actress thought that after she saw the first run of the movie. I'm 15. <laughs> my dreams are dead. <laughs> Carrot, Carrot Top uses it as a double feature when he uh, screens chairman of the board so it doesn't look so bad in comparison. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, oh. <laughs> well, that uh, Garbage Pills Kid movie sure did suck. Hey, here's my movie. Oh. oh, the night of the fashion show, Tangerine locks the kids in the basement of the antique shop so they don't escape. And soon they are captured by Juice and his gang who bring them to the state home for the ugly. What? Yes. It's called the State Home for the Ugly, a prison where people too ugly for society are brought and executed. Oh, my God. People there include the, quote, too fat Santa Claus. So Santa Claus is real in this world, and he is locked in this place because he's too fat. And to be executed. The too bald Gandhi, a real-life person who is not alive in 1987, but apparently is still there somehow. But they just want you to know that he was ugly. Right. 
The too skinny Abraham Lincoln. What? So Abraham Lincoln somehow survived assassination and lived until 1987. I would love, just love for somebody to screen this movie somewhere just to see the reaction to it these days. Some people might die when they watch this movie. Oh, yeah. The too wrinkly old man and the too silly clown. You know, I don't. I don't, I don't know. understand how the silly clown is ugly. That doesn't make any sense. I don't either. Manzini and Dodger help them escape. Yeah, and here's the thing too. Oh, uh, they don't really explain this, but the the people that capture them go. You know, they go around and um, they go around these vans and they pick people up just off the street. I don't know what authority they have to do this but they just pick people up off the street and they have a van called um that says state home for the ugly on it but it's supposed to be it's supposed to be um secret too because manzini says oh you know it was only rumors and i thought and stuff like that and it's supposed to (laughs) it's supposed to be this big secret thing (laughs) but they find them by following the van that says state home for the ugly on it that's just out in public (laughs) Hey, have you heard these rumors about this group called the uh, Police Department? Yeah, exactly. That's what it's like. Oh, so they, uh, let's see. Mancini and Dodger help them escape and head to the fashion show. By the way, there are other um, Garbage Pail Kids in there, uh, you know, and these people are being executed. Like, you know, they say that they're going to kill the Garbage Pail Kids before they escape. Uh, they never go back for those people. They never- That's just a rumor. <laughs> they it's ne- only rumored. They never go back for Santa Claus. They never go back for their friends. They never go back for Lincoln. They they just oh, they just they leave them. I assume that would be like near the end somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't happen. Okay. They just wanted people to be aware of it, I guess. Yep. By the way, people are being executed. And here they are and here why. The garbage pail kids trash the fashion show and rip the clothes off the models. Another great thing in a kid's movie. Now, there's no nudity, but, you know, they're in bras and underwear. Right. While Dodger gets into a fight with Juice. Juice and his gang are later arrested, and it is implied that they may now finally be locked away in prison for a good while. What? That's very vague. Ooh, you're 17, you're going to jail for a good while. (laughs) Yeah, six months till you're 18. You got a vague threat when you don't know how long you're punishing your children. How long am I punished? For a while? (laughs) Yep. Later that night, Tangerine apologizes to Dodger and asks to be his friend, but Dodger doesn't accept her apology due to her greed. Captain Manzini tries to sing the Garbage Pail Kids song backwards to coax them back into the garbage can, but the kids sneak out and ride stolen ATVs away to cause more havoc. And that is the end of the film. Wow. Oh, they were going to do a reboot of it in 2012. They talked about it. And uh, they in on in July eighteenth, two thousand thirteen, it was reported that the film was canceled due to negative reception. <laughs> that's the only reboot that's ever been canceled, too. Oh my god, it is a truly it's one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. It is awful. Yeah, it sounds really bad. Garbage Pail Kids, the movie. And yeah, like even as an eight-year-old, I watched this movie and I was like, yeah, this sucks. <laughs> oh, it says here, here's a, uh, a piece of trivia. 
The garbage pail facial puppet heads required more detail work for facial animation prior to filming. The effects team didn't complete the heads on time. Rod Amento, who was the director of the film, made the film anyway, expecting the puppet head effects animations to improve during the filming. It did not. Why would he expect that? I don't know. Oh, oh, but that is the Garbage Pail Kids film. Now, More like garbage, pale kids. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you something that's not garbage. Our sponsor this week, Collector Mounts. Oh, go to CollectorMount.com and get some seriously great mounts for your wall. You can put up DVDs, movies, Blu-rays, all that stuff, uh, laser discs. All that art is just sitting there. I mean, I, I tell you every week, call them. Get that art up on the wall. Turn How your... are we going to show people you have great taste in things if you don't have it popping out in their face? Exactly. Get get the Garbage Pail Kids movie on VHS and put it up on your wall. Oh, but uh, but no, I mean, seriously, this... you think it's on Laserdisc? It might be. I don't know. Laserdisc. God. <laughs> if, if they made... The Garbage Pail Kids on Laserdisc, I'll bet they sold no copies of that. Yeah, probably. Except for that guy who did Ready Player One. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he... It's it's something from the past, so it's got to be good. It's from the 80s, guys! <laughs> when I was a child... Oh, this show is sponsored by Collector Mount. Introducing the new DVD movie Blu-ray mount. With the Collector Mount products, you can now mount it all. You can display movies, DVDs, Blu-rays, magazines, trading cards, albums, comic books, CDs, books, and video games. There are five different mounting options to choose from. The DVD movie Blu-ray mount is a clear, adjustable display frame system. You can get these movies up on your wall or into any flat surface as it can be used as either a wall mount, which is adjustable, or a shelf stand. It's the perfect design option and also pops your collectibles off the wall, driving a cool 3D effect in the design. It's invisible, it's easy to install, it's adjustable, and it's affordable at only $4.99. You have to check these out. Collector Mount is offering our listeners a 25% off coupon off all their products. The coupon code is LATEFEE25, and you can use this code now by going to uh, www.collectormount.com. The coupon will be available until February, so hurry up and check out all these products. Again, go to collectormount.com and use coupon code LATEFEE25. Get your stuff on your wall. Have people say, wow, this is, uh, you know, this really transformed your room into something I want to be in. Yeah, I thought you were a big fucking idiot, but now I see you have Top Gun over there. <laughs> exactly. You want to win friends? Go to Collector Mount. Oh, did I tell you that my Collector Mount is actually on the wall now? Oh, it is? Yeah, my uh, wife uh, surprised me by mounting it onto the wall. And it, looks really, it does look really neat. It's, like, very, like, I don't know how it supports it. It's, like, such a, like... You know, like so thin that you can see through it. It really does look like it's kind of like hovering in the air. It's, you know, really for the, it's a great value for the cost for sure. That's awesome. Yep. Go to Collector Mount. So, our main topic this week is Mike and I have seen the movie Glass, the, uh, by, by M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, um, oh, wait. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. I thought we were watching a documentary on Philip Glass. <laughs> 
Oh, no. What are we going to do? I'll tell you what we can do. You go watch Glass real quick right now. I'll pause the podcast, and I'll wait here for you. No, I actually saw the right one. (laughs) All right. So, this movie is a sequel to both Unbreakable and Split. Uh, Kind of a, uh, you know, culmination of a trilogy of these films. uh, M. Night Shyamalan's superhero universe that... uh, is super grounded in reality, uh, which they kind of play on a lot in this movie. Uh, I guess before we get into spoilers, we can kind of talk uh, a little generally about the film, what we thought of it and everything, um, and then we'll we'll get into uh, spoilers from, uh, you know, going forward. Uh, I might, if I feel like it's do time codes uh, in the description so you know where to uh, to skip to. But I also might be too lazy to do it. So check. I feel that we should just spoil the movie because anybody watching it has probably already seen it or listening, rather. Yeah, I mean, maybe. But you you want to go just full <laughs> spoilers? All right, we'll go. Yeah, maybe maybe you can put a warning on it itself, and then maybe we can put where we discuss you know glass, the main part of the podcast, in case you want to skip over it. Right. All right, we'll go. We'll go for full spoilers. So. Um, first of all, what did you think of the movie? Did you like it? I liked it a lot, actually. I was surprised how much I liked the movie. I liked it because uh, when I was a when Unbreakable came out, I was a huge fan. I really loved that movie. I went and saw it a couple times in the theaters, which for me is like almost unheard of, mm-hmm. unless it's The Matrix or Fight Club, which I've seen like ten times each, probably. Right. The um, but yeah, and I mean, Split when Split first came out, I didn't even bother watching it, and then I heard about at the end how um. Bruce Willis shows up making a uh, cameo as David Dunn. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll watch that now if it ties in. You know, I was hoping it would tie in more to Unbreakable, but it really didn't. But I mean, they're you know, it makes sense that they're in the same universe because it's like the same kind of low powered superhero, which is always a nice kind of fun genre. Like you know, you're not blowing up the sun with like you know your laser blast, but you know, hey, you're kind of strong. You're not you know impossibly strong, but you're way stronger than the strongest person alive. That to me is kind of an interesting genre of superheroes. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I liked uh, probably the first seventy-five percent of this movie a lot. Um, it's not getting great critical reviews. Uh, I've I've read some of the critical reviews, a lot of which I don't agree with. But uh, it's not getting great critical reviews, although it it has a pretty good audience score if you look at Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, but I liked, uh, uh, like I said, like the first seventy-five percent of this movie a lot. The, the last part of the movie is where some of the problems come in to me. Uh, and, you know, we'll get to that in a little bit. But um, what I liked about the movie is, and I wish they would have played up this idea a little, a little bit more. Uh, Sarah Paulson plays the, ther- the psychologist who comes in and she has uh Mr. Glass and she has uh you know Bruce Willis's unbreakable character David Dunn and the beast or the horde or whatever Kevin whatever you want whatever you want to call him James McAvoy's character and she has all three of them and she basically says to them uh all three of you have a brain injury all three of you have some injury to the prefrontal cortex of your brain and it's causing, uh, you know, this physical thing is is awakened in you mental delusions that you are a superhero. And they they have very 
plausible explanations. Like, because, you know, I'm thinking, while I'm watching this, I'm like, well, she's she's lying. Because, I mean, I saw Split. You know, I saw Unbreakable. She's lying. And she's basically like to David Dunn, she says, you know, you're just strong. You know, yeah, you lifted all that weight. There are people in... Uh, you know, in gyms that can lift big, big amounts of weight, you're just a strong guy, you know, form, former athlete. He was like a, a star football player yeah. and everything. You know, it's like you're just a strong guy. And she says, you know, and there's usually an inciting event that makes you uh, that makes you feel vulnerable. And, you know, so, you know, this delusion of being a superhero and obviously he almost drowned when he was a kid. So, you know, that's. You know, and they kind of they play that uh, that flashback to reinforce that idea. And she says to James Mars or to James uh, McAvoy's character from Split, you know, he's like, oh, I bent I bent those bars. And, uh, you know, she's like, oh, those those bars were made a long time ago. You know, I was able to bend them. It was hard, but I could do it. You're a strong guy. You know, uh, that that shotgun that you got shot with was wet. You know, the uh, the bullets were compromised, you know, and everything. Um, so, you know, that's why it didn't hurt. So that part all. actually literally made no sense at all. Literally no sense. Okay. So you're much more of a gun expert than I am. So why, why does that not make sense? Because if the powder were wet or compromised enough, it would just simply not go off. It that's... wouldn't go off slowly and slowly push the bullet like in like a cartoon. It just wouldn't, it would either work or not work. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I thought too watching it even not knowing a lot about it but i thought to myself when cartridges get wet don't they just misfire but yeah yeah it, it's like the explosive powder it just literally does not work but at least you've the gunslinger yeah exactly i have but at least they tried to explain it in a way that you know you could at least sort of buy i suppose um and uh so i thought to myself i was like oh i hope they really explore this idea that they might not be real. You know, they might they might not actually be superheroes. And obviously Mr. Glass, you know, doesn't really have a superpower. He's 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 the mastermind. He's in, he's really intelligent and good at planning and he has osteogenesis imperfecta. So where's So it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a trade-off. Right. But um but yeah, so I thought, "Oh, you know, I hope they really explore this." Now they didn't explore that idea enough i don't think i don't think they went deep enough with that idea but i was really i really liked that and i liked the slow build of the movie i thought um you know i liked the pacing of it a lot and i liked a lot of the visuals uh when it comes to like a lot of the movie is shot in very different ways um with different camera angles and everything almost almost it almost feels sort of like uh you know, it's like different directors directed different parts of the movie. Yeah, it, it was so much that I noticed, like, every, like, the camera is almost never stationary. He's always doing something with it. It's moving, or it's, like, a different point of view, or it's just, like, you know, it's in the water sometimes. It's, yep. it's just, it's always doing something. It's like an actor. It's yeah, and I like that. And, and it, it, everything, like, it really blended together you know like uh the the visual style of the movie and i liked a lot of the color palette of the movie the different um each of the different uh superheroes has a different kind of color scheme that uh that comes up uh you know um mr glasses is purple and everything and a lot of it is filmed with more shades of purple when when he's on the screen another thing that i kind of didn't like um although i don't know exactly 
how you could structure it differently to, to make it this way. But uh, I, I wanted more Samuel L. Jackson in this film. Samuel L. Jackson is a, is a really good actor. Yeah, he's a great actor, and that's a great character. It's just like, ah, it sucks because, I mean, it it wouldn't have been a good, as good of a movie if he were in it more because, I mean, just like, I mean, the less you know about Mr. Glass and his, you know, mm-hmm. machinations of Leonardo, Leonardo, the better. <laughs> right. Yeah, because, no. I mean, it's, it's just like he's, I mean, he's such a powerful character. He's like, he's a, you know, he's a literally a brilliant character. He's a mastermind type personality. He's, you know, an archetype from comics that's just like, yeah, and I liked um I I love his character. I love uh you know how he plays him. Um I heard somebody say and so I won't take credit for this cuz I heard somebody else say this, but I thought this was a really apt description. They said uh, it's sort of like the Goldilocks thing where you have one character uh or one actor, Bruce Willis that's not acting enough. You have another actor, James McAvoy, that's acting too much. And then you have Samuel L. Jackson yeah, that's, that's acting perfect. just right. That's a that's a great description. And I like James McAvoy a lot in Split, and I thought I think he's a very good actor, and I thought he did a really good job in Split. In this movie, his performance is not quite as good or convincing. Um, and I think, yeah, I think, I think when you put them up against other characters, like that are like, I would say Unbreakable was certainly more grounded because even, Mm -hmm. I mean, really watching Unbreakable, you could, you could say that the character didn't even have superpowers. I mean, it's, it's really debatable. Yeah, I agree. But Split, it was like that to a certain point. And all of a sudden, oh, he's on the ceiling. Yeah. He just got shot with a shotgun. Oh, he bent those bars. Yeah. There's, you know, he's clearly, you know, some kind of otherworldly supernatural type, you know. Exactly. But, um, uh, yeah, so, and, and like McAvoy to me, I think part of the reason that his performance didn't work as well for me as it did in split is because, you know, in split, the changes were slower. Uh, it took more time. There was more of a break because of the way they set this up with the lights and everything. He's rapidly going from one to another, and it's like, yeah, I mean, it it it, it basically just kind of looks like a like an actor's sizzle reel or something like that, where it's like, yeah, okay, I see what you're doing, but it's not it, it's not nuanced enough. Yeah, um, they, they played they played his uh, shifting personalities up for laughs, and whereas in Split they didn't really do that. Yeah. I mean, split there are a couple kind of funny parts, but this is I'm like, oh, look, I'm a child, I'm a woman, I'm this British guy. Hey, I'm Kevin. You know, it's it's. A- yeah, yeah, I agree, and so I didn't. You know, I still think McAvoy's a really good actor, and he did as good of a job I think as he could with with what with what he had. But I just I wish that they would have slowed that down a little bit and maybe not not had him so rapidly go from one to another maybe even have him be the woman or whomever for a much longer period of time like that's the character like inhabiting one character for more more of the movie or most of the movie yeah i mean that was just kind of like a, a bit you know much for me but yeah samuel jackson um the whole pre- the whole premise of the movie is essentially his theory, and his theory is that there have been these people who are you know separate and like genetically superior in many ways to the rest of us mm-hmm. throughout like the recorded history. I mean, the whole time you know people have been around, we've been recording and documenting like these care you know these mysterious mysterious type people that you know the general public isn't aware of or they haven't you know been introduced to or they're being actively suppressed something. Mm-hmm. And only comics are the one true medium that you know are kind of like an attestment to these people. 
Yeah, and I think I like the way that the like, you know, Samuel Jackson's motivation and his character arc and development and his theory, I like how it kind of retroactively applies to unbreakable and and split if you you can follow because you know that's and that was a big part of his motivation in unbreakable and you can follow this because of information that we get in this movie you can follow his his line of wanting to prove this to be true and desperately wanting it to be true um through unbreakable and through split and then into this movie and i think that if you juxtapose that with Sarah Paulson's character and her trying to prove that he's wrong and that they're just normal people with a psychological delusion, I think those two opposing ideologies could have made for a stronger film if it had focused more on that. Uh, yeah, the, the problem is there was there's too much going on in this movie, which is yes. a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, I love you know, I mean, obviously seeing Bruce Willis play David Dunnigan is great because mm-hmm. I really love that movie. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants who saw Split wants to see James Marsden. They're both big parts of the movie, but I mean, the movie is called Glass, and I would say it focused a little bit more on him specifically. Mm-hmm. Which again, I don't think they really could have done without spoiling his big master plan. Because if you saw like what he was actually up to the whole time, I mean. There would be no, you know, characteristic Shyamalan style twist. But really, the movie is all about Mr. Glass because, in the end, uh, as a throwback to Unbreakable. Actually, do you want to go in a more linear way? I mean, do you want to talk about the movie as it plays out, or yeah, we can we can go more linear if you want. Oh no, it's up to you because, like, so uh, you actually skipped ahead of it because at the beginning, um, David Dunn, we see he's a he's not working as a security guard anymore. He actually has his own private security company. Yep. And uh, he's working with his son, which oddly enough is the same actor from uh, Unbreakable, which I thought was interesting. And he, I don't know if he's been in anything between the two, but he's good in this. So, I mean, he seems to be a good actor unless he's just very good at playing this one character. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm going to look up and see if he's done anything. But I, I noticed that, too. And I, I liked that a lot that they brought uh, that they brought him back uh, for this movie. Yeah, that was pretty, I thought that was pretty neat. And another thing they did that was kind of interesting was there was some... Uh, scenes that were cut from Unbreakable because they were too long or, you know, they just didn't serve the purpose. And they actually use those in the movie Glass. And mm-hmm. it, it's like, oh, wow, that's cool. You know, that, but they actually were filmed, you know, 18, 19 years ago, however long it was, which was, I thought was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, I agree. For Yeah, and that was, that was really good. But yeah, he's... Yeah, so, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I'm, I'm going to look up uh, this guy. Oh, sure. Sure, yeah. So he's working at a security company, and we see he's kind of like, he's a vigilante, almost like a Batman-esque type character where... You know, during the night or during the day, like at the beginning of the movie, like a guy is just kind of walking around. This like young man runs up and just flat out knocks him out, like the whole knockout game thing that was or wasn't actually happening. I still don't know if it was a real thing at first or what. Mm-hmm. But so the, then, like David Dunn tracks him down and he just like beats the hell out of these kids, you know, because that's what that's what he does. And so you know, he's you know he's obviously older, but he hasn't really slowed down as far as you know his strength and that sort of thing go. Um, but so he's trying. He's, his son is actually trying to help him find the beast. We find out that uh, his wife had passed away a few years ago, but his son is really actively helping him try to find, you know, these miscreant type characters from to come and uh, you know bring his own style of justice against. Mm-hmm. So he's walking uh, in like the the seedier part of town where his son is kind of triangulated where the the beast will show up, and sure enough, he runs into. Uh, 
uh, James McAvoy's character, who I, I don't even know his name's Kevin, right? Kevin something. I don't remember. Yeah, his real Kevin Crumb. Kevin. Yeah, that's Wendell yep. Crumb. Yeah, there that's, you go. That's his real name. Yeah. Yeah. So he runs into him, and uh, sure enough, he gets like a vision of where these women are being held. Because uh, he they show at the beginning of the movie. I'm sorry, I forgot that uh, the Beast has kidnapped uh, four cheerleaders. Yep. So he gets a vision that he's in like some kind of red brick building. So they're able to piece out exactly like, oh, he's in this, uh, he's in this, you know, old brick factory. Which okay, it's very specific and very lucky, but you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So they show up there, and then uh, when they get into this uh, big fight outside, uh, Sarah Paulson and the police, because you know how often psychiatrists travel around with the police. Yeah, this this threw me off, and like when this happened, and they had they they have the lights too there. Um, you know, she's there with the police and the lights. And I thought to myself, I was like, this is dumb. Like, why, why would they be bringing, you know, cause they, they set up earlier that the police have been looking for him for a long time. And, uh, you know, his son is worried about him going out because, you know, he thinks that the police are, you know, they're kind of zeroing in on him and everything. And I'm thinking, yeah, because they do mention that the, they're getting more and more precise as they, you know, better video and they kind of are stringing together exactly what vigilantiacs belong to him, which I would assume would be all because I thought there's two vigilantes going. Right. But yeah, so I thought that was dumb, but it, it does make sense. Uh, by the end of the film, like, and that was one of the things that I was like, okay, okay, I get what you were doing. See, even before the end of the movie, I kind of realized, I'm like, oh wait, because if you think about, if you think of Unbreakable as a comic book, it's the perfect comic book movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's I can't. There's no comic book movie that's better than Unbreakable, in my opinion. I agree. And then, it, but however, Glass. If you think of the whole thing as a comic book, that's perfect comic book fodder. I mean, a, a psychiatrist traveling around with the police and a set of lights. Sure, it's a comic book. Why not? That's that's fine. That's plausible. All right. So the uh, psychiatrist uh, took them to the um, the um, it's not the uh, state hospital for the ugly or anything like that. <laughs> right. it's like, uh, you know, it's a mental type hospital. And what happens when they get there is a mystery to me because I had to go to the restroom at this point. And so I Uh-oh. went to the restroom at the AMC 30 theater. And then I went to go get some pretzels. And for some reason it took like five minutes to get pretzels. I have no idea why it was like a bunch of like high schoolers talking to each other. Oh, that's awful. So, uh, so I'm calling you out AMC 30. Yeah. I think the beast should go get those high schoolers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he probably would. But But uh, when I went back, uh, they were at the mental hospital. Okay. So yeah, what happens is, is they take, uh, she takes them, to the you know they they trap them and she takes them to the mental hospital and then um basically they get put into their cells and she explains to them that you know she's got the lights set up for him that kind of neutralize uh him because he can't turn into uh a like a violent personality because anytime he does the lights will come on and he'll revert to some other more docile personality um and they've rigged how, up. How they can figure that out with the lights, I don't know, but right. whatever. It's a, it's a comic book movie. And they rigged up uh, Dunn's cell to be um, hooked up to a water tank outside so that if he tried to escape, the water would come down and would weaken him. So that that's basically all you missed, I think. Yeah, which is kind of funny because later in the movie, the doctor's like, oh, like you were mentioning earlier, oh, you're not actually, uh, you don't have a vulnerability to water. Right. It's just, you know, like all in your head. <laughs> But still, she uh, rigs it up with water just in case. Yeah, yeah but the whole time, so like uh, when we see Mr. Glass, we barely see him for the most part of the movie because he seems to be in a catatonic state, which yep. 
as you know, anyone who's seen the movie or anyone suspected the entire time was entirely, you know, an invention of Mr. Glasses. Yep. So he's in this catatonic state and the, uh, you know, the, um, the doc, the psychiatrist is obviously wise to him. She knows he's just putting, putting this up. And so she's explaining how they have all these cameras set about because they've noticed some weird going on. Like one time his door was open and he's like supposedly in a catatonic state. And like, you know, they kind of suspect he's up to something, but can't quite. Yeah. So they put a hundred cameras around. Yeah. So, um, and then, so uh, later um, he goes, he actually, we see, you know, surprise. He's not only up the whole time, but he's precisely timed, uh, exactly when the shift change occurs and he knows that the shift change person is a talker so he knows we'll have you know this much time down to the second to you know talk to who he needs to and that's yeah oh you know speaking of uh things you might have missed i think one thing that you might have missed is they show uh anya uh what's her name anya something taylor i can't think of her uh her middle name, but uh, I don't know. I the, know you're yeah, the girl from Split. They show her in her school, and she gets called in by the principal, and the principal says, "I wanted to tell you that um, the guy that that uh, that kidnapped you has been captured. He's off the streets now." You know, and I thought, I didn't miss that. You did miss that. Yeah, I did. Okay, so yeah, so she tells him. And also, there's there's a weird thing that never comes back, but they make a point to at, like uh, move the camera into lists of students and stuff like that that like used to go to the school or whatever. Like kind of how they'll have like graduating classes on the wall. And um, David Dunn's son is, is one of them. So I guess she goes to oh. the same school he did, but that never comes up again or anything. Yeah, that's interesting. But, um, yeah, so she tells her that, and uh, she says, I told your foster parents that. So we get that kind of closure as to the uh, the uncle that was abusing her and everything. She got him arrested for uh, for the sexual abuse and stuff, and now she's living with um, with uh, foster parents and going to this school. So that like that, that happened, too, and then they go into the, um, the stuff at the mental institution. You know, I could be wrong, but I could have sworn like later in the movie he mentions that he went to the same school as her, or there's some connection there. Because I don't remember his character still in school at the time. I think he's out of school. Yeah, no, he's an adult at this point. And I think like what they showed was a picture of like past graduating classes to just kind of oh, I see. show that he was that he had gone to that school. So yeah, like uh, if, I don't, I don't. I didn't catch that if he mentioned it, but uh, yeah, maybe I'm just thinking, making that up. I don't know. But if he mentioned it, then yeah. So they have somewhat of a connection, even more than you know the the normal connection of uh, you know each one of them is associated with one of these superpowered sure. people. And that was another part that was weird when she's so desperate to visit the Beast or the Horde mm-hmm. or Kevin or whoever. Mm-hmm. Like, she knows from this very intense yet short experience that, you know, she can bring the good out of him. But that's kind of weird. But again, comic book-wise, it's perfectly makes sense. Yeah, and that's that's one aspect that I think a lot of people aren't getting and where I hear a lot of the negative criticism come from is um, is from her character and saying like, why would she be want to be around this guy? Um, you know, like I've heard people refer to it as like maybe like some kind of Stockholm syndrome or something like that uh, where she feels wow. this strong connection to, to this character and they don't like the way that it's handled sort of 
Um, I get you. Yeah, the, the real practical reason, obviously, is that they wanted her to be in this movie because people liked her in Split and they want to see what happens with the character. I mean, right. But but like you pointed out, I think it's a perfectly logical thing to happen in a comic book movie. And I think that's, I think it's people that don't like fully understand comics is, you know, in a comic book, if two characters go through a similar trauma together and she kind of looks at Kevin as a victim of, of this too, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. They did have some kind of odd connection there. Yeah. And they were both abused, you know, like he was abused by his mom and she was abused by her uncle and, and stuff like that. And I think it makes perfect sense in a comic book movie that those two characters would gravitate towards each other. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so then one of the bigger scenes is when they have a, um, again, this is mo- the most, re- like, the whole movie, the, I'm thinking, like, what about the HIPAA laws? I mean, mm-hmm. the patient confidentiality in this hospital is, like, the worst I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And because they have, like, a, and again, this is another thing that makes no sense because it's a mental-type institution. Mm-hmm. They have an ultimatum, like, oh, if you're not cured by this time, then you're going to be in big trouble. It's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, she says she has three days to cure them, and if she can't cure them in three days, then I I think they have to go through this surgery that she wants to do to... Uh... Yeah, it seems like a lobotomy type thing where they drill... Because, I mean, she mentions the damage to the brain, and it seems yep. to be heading towards... Mm-hmm. See, I wonder, too, if those were faked, like, you know, the MRIs. Oh, I'm sure, Yes. I mean, it seems kind of weird. I don't remember any of the characters getting an MRI, but I mean, obviously, that wouldn't necessarily be a scene that you need to see. Like, oh, look, David Dunn's getting an MRI now. Right. Yeah, she says to him that she says to David Dunn that she wants him to agree to get the MRI, and he just kind of nods at one point. That might that might also have been in the pot in the part that you missed. Um, But yeah, Yeah, they they don't actually show it. yeah, no, what's kind of weird is if they really were just going to do this weird surgery, they should have just done it during the MRI. Then they mm-hmm. wouldn't even have to bother with this whole like therapeutic angle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if it does, in fact, neutralize their abilities. This is that's one of the things that um, that's one of the things that I kind of don't like about when we get to the when we get to the twist, which we'll get to. Um, that's kind of one of the things I like. It does some of this doesn't hold up logically to me as to how they would actually behave or do this. But yeah, that's yeah. that's one of those things too. Yeah, that's another, but to me, like, if something makes sense within the context of, like, the universe they've presented to you, like, this is obviously a comic book movie, it's a comic book type scenario, that sort of stuff, I mean, it's, like, perfectly geared towards a comic book, so even myself, who has a lot of trouble suspending disbelief, even over the most minor, like, you know, nuanced things that make no sense, Mm -hmm. like, to me, I'm like, okay, that's, that's the world they've given me, it's a comic book world, that makes sense in that context. Okay. And then later we even see it even makes more sense when we realize that, I mean, I don't know, we're not at the twist just yet. Right. But we see what actually is happening with the doctor. It's like, okay, yeah, I could perfectly see them, you know, giving these weird ultimatums and trying to do something quick. The ultimatum makes sense, but like, I don't know, just the way they went about it doesn't make, but we'll get to it when we get to spoilers. But yeah. um, Yeah. I'm trying to think what the next thing that happens is. Um, So they have this therapy session. Yes. And then, um, and then, uh, but before the therapy session, Mr. Glass reveals to uh, one of the personalities, the female one, I don't remember, um, but he reveals to her that he's planning to escape tomorrow and that he's, um, you know, been able to figure out a way to uh, escape at this exact time. He switched out his medication. Mm-hmm. Um, does he reveal the thing about the machine then? I think, maybe that's later, but. Yeah, that's later. You know, 
Yeah, so like he says, you know, be ready. I need to see the beast, though, and he's able to coax the beast out. And yep. sure enough, the beast doesn't attack Mister Glass because I don't know if it's because he's been so damaged. That's what Mister Glass seems to think, and he perfectly figured out ahead of time too because he's a super genius. Yep. And one thing about that scene where the three of them are together, first of all, I love that scene uh, where the three of them are 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 all together and they're talking to uh, Sarah Paulson's character. That's where she tries to convince them that. Um, that uh, you know they're not really superheroes and everything, and yeah, uh, she's also like the Goldilocks of Samuel Jackson in this movie. I yeah. I know she's been in a lot of stuff. I've never seen her before, but she's very good. Yes, she is a very good actress. Uh, I I like she's been an American Horror Story. Uh, she was in Bird Box for for a minute. That's another thing I don't like about that movie is how they they waste her character, but uh, as or waste her as an actress. But um, yeah, she is very good. And one of the scenes when they talk about the trauma stuff, obviously we see um, David Dunn almost drowning, and we see Mister Glass on that like. Mr. Toad's wild Toad ride. World. Yeah, the Toad's World thing. Oh my god. That that scene is so good. It's filmed so well. The the colors and the the music and everything. It, yeah, it, I think that's a deleted scene from Unbreakable. <laughs> that that is a fantastically shot scene. I, I love that scene. Um, but that, yeah, that's a great, uh, and that makes a lot of sense if it's a deleted scene from Unbreakable too, because it does have a little more of the, uh, of Shyamalan's kind of like earlier aesthetic going on, but that, that is a fabulous scene. And then, yeah, we move on to Glass, uh, you know, talking to Kevin slash all his personalities and getting the, um, the beast to come out, uh, and basically tell him, you know, that, uh, you know, this is what's going to happen. We're going to work together kind of thing. Yeah, so the next night, the uh, the same guy who takes forever to, um, you know, ch- change shifts and all that, he yep. comes in and he's talking to uh, Mr. Glass. And he's like, talking about his pictures. He's like, oh, what happened here? And then, uh, sure enough, uh, Mr. Glass uh, has a piece of glass in his hands and he cuts his throat. Yep. He goes, it took me forever to find the right piece. Yeah. yeah, that's a great line, too. And yeah, they uh, this is where they, they take, um, you know, and they take him to... Uh, to get the, um, they take him to get the surgery well, thing. Lobotomy or whatever, yeah, and he's just kind of like just sitting there, you're not doing anything, which is how he subdues. Yep, and that's a great, that's a great scene too, and like a great, you know something's going to happen, but you can kind of feel the tension, and then the way, like the way he slashes his throat with the piece of glass and stuff is great, and then I love the visual of, we, we're kind of focused on glass in the foreground, as he comes in and he's talking, he's sort of like explain, almost like villain monologuing. Uh, he's kind of explaining like everything and stuff. And in the background, we see the guy just clutching his throat on the bed. He's clear, oh, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. clearly dying. And I, like the whole time, I'm thinking like, God, what a what a way to go! Like you're you're trying to like you know not die from exsanguination as like the blood is pouring yeah. out of you, and this guy <laughs> is monologuing in in this like just conversational tone about everything he's planning to do. And it's like this is the last stuff he's gonna hear, kind of thing. Yeah. But it's and you're thinking perfect. you're thinking that you're thinking that motherfucker used a piece of glass because he calls himself <laughs> Mister Glass to cut my throat. Right. And it's just, it's, it's a per, like, it's a perfect setup. The scene is just, it's incredibly well blocked and well shot. And it's another thing that I really love about, uh, 
you know, kind of the aesthetic of this movie. But yeah, the uh, whole movie is just gorgeous to look at. It's mm-hmm. it's the colors are amazing, the cinematography. Like you said, the camera is very busy, but I don't find it distracting, which is odd for me because usually I'm like, oh my god, quit doing. Yeah, no, I and I'm the same way. There, there. I've seen a lot of different movies where, um, you know, that there's a lot of like innovative or different kind of camera movements, and I'm thinking to myself while I'm watching, I'm like okay, uh, you can direct, I get it, you know, like, like, it's almost like the director becomes a part of the movie, you know, but yeah, but this, it all, it makes sense in every, every single time they do it. Yeah. And I think, I think one thing that, uh, like Shyamalan struggles sometimes with script writing. He struggles sometimes with getting actors to give good performances. He can struggle in certain, in certain different aspects of filmmaking. But one thing that I don't think he's ever really struggled in is that he has a great innate ability to to present to us great visuals while also keeping himself out of the movie. I mean, not in the not in the cameo city, right? Not literally, but like you don't feel him directing the film. You know, actually, actually, that's another point. Um, he does, of, of you know, have a cameo in this movie, but it's very quick. Yeah, it's actually almost like tongue in cheek. He's like, well, I, he's like, well, you better get out there, you know, because. I think it's almost like in response to his earlier cameos where he was just getting way over the top. Like, yep. in what, I haven't seen like the Lady in the Water. Like his character is like this creator who like created this. La- it's just like really ridiculous. Yeah, his character is basically the hero. Like his character, his in, in the Lady in the Water, his character uh, eventually writes a book that solves all of the world's problems with his writing. So yeah. they have to protect him. And for all you directors out there, if you're such great actors, why aren't you in other people's movies? Exactly. But yeah, but I thought that was like kind of funny. He was like, "Oh well, get out there!" You know, he's like basically like you know assuring the 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 audience like, "Well, we're going to be moving along in this one." You know, we're not going to, and it's per- that's how it is. It's a yeah. It's very. I like the pace of the movie is great. Like it's a very long movie. Don't get me wrong. It's like two and a half hours, maybe. It's it's a long movie. Is it really that long? Because it did not it might feel... Be two hour, it might be two hours and three minutes. It's something like that, but it's at least two hours. It's a long movie. It did not feel that length to me. It really yeah. didn't. Yeah, I loved Unbreakable, but Unbreakable, the pace was very, very slow. I did not care for that. And this is like the perfect pace for this kind of movie. It's Something's always happening. The plot's like racing forward. You know, there's things going on. You're one, There's mystery. It's just It just throws everything at you. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. So not only did Mr. Glass cut the uh, attendee's throat, but he also reveals that he disabled the uh, the laser to the brain machine, whatever it does. He- yeah. And and that's another thing that I like is that he didn't go into some big explanation. They didn't give us a bunch of exposition about that or anything. Like Shyamalan knows. All he's got to do is he showed Glass holding the, the little like piece of metal or whatever. And it's like, we understand, okay, he disabled it. He took out something that's important to this machine and it didn't do what it was supposed to do to him. Yeah, and it was actually made of glass as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think they did show like a quick cut of him doing that. But what's funny too is the night before when he was talking to um, James McAvoy's character, he's like, well, I have a few minutes. People suspect that he means to go back to his cell, but he actually means a few minutes to get to the next part of his plan. Yep. That's right. Because it does appear that it happened in order that after that he went and got the part. At least that's what it looks like. Or maybe he did it before. I don't know. Yeah. And like, um, is this, are we at the point now where he, we see him, um, like, uh, at the computer and everything, and, um, 
Yeah, it, it, what was interesting is it did show him like right, or I think no, no. After that, like after he knocks out the the guard or cuts his throat, I don't think I don't know if he actually dies. Oddly enough, they I think they show him like like later in the movie, towards the last maybe fifteen or twenty minutes of the film. I think they show Sarah Paulson see him on a monitor, and it's like the next day, and he's still there with his hand like on his throat, but he's clearly uh, dead. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, I forgot it was a length of time, which didn't make a lot of sense, but what. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so he's going. And he's like, he's like doing something on the computer. We don't know what. And then so they they escape in like the like the, the most ridiculous like you know costume. Yeah, <laughs> I think like James it just puts like a something over his head, like it's like a babushka or something like that. Right. And so like, what what's good? What what I like about that though is like they're immediately found out. Like there's no you know subtlety. No one's like you know falls for it even for a second. Mm-hmm. Like when he's being wheeled out, like uh, they go through the basement for some reason, which is, uh, and then uh, it, what's what's odd is McAvoy's character seems to be able to control the beast better in this movie because yeah. he kind of can like pull it out when he needs to, and they kind of shove it back. Yeah, and I, you know, I I kind of like that from the comic book uh, aspect of it too because it sort of shows that he is uh, he he's progressing in his powers basically. Yeah, he's learning how to use them, which is it's it's an interesting power. It's like obviously like a minor version of the Hulk or something like that. Or right. But, so they they go through the basement, and the the two nurses who walk by are like, okay, this. Or I don't know if they're nurses, but they're like, okay, this is fucked up. That's that's clearly <laughs> not a uh, attempt. Yeah. Real quick too. Um, before they escape, they go to, uh, he goes to David Dunn, Glass goes to David Dunn and basically tells him, look, this building is, uh, is opening there, the big opening of the, oh yeah, that's a big part I missed. (laughs) Yeah. Like big, this is the opening of the large, uh, the tallest building in, in Pittsburgh or or in uh, Philadelphia. And, um, we're going there. He's going to mess up the opening and, uh, and kill a bunch of people. I'm going to blow up their building with the chemicals because there's, uh, two chemical companies on these floors and I'm going to blow up this building and, uh, you, you better come and stop us. And he's like, you know, David Dunn's still like, kind of like, uh, you know, I don't know if we're really super powered or anything. He's basically egging him on. He's yeah, like, yeah, it's kind of interesting. He he is kind of like you know really like at this point because she's also gotten to their you know loved ones, which also yep. kind of explains why um the girl from the split movie and also um David Dunn's son are brought to the facility to try and like hey you're helping or egging on this person's delusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, yeah, that happens too. That's right. But, uh, yeah, so he says it, he's like, you know, he goes, I disabled the, the water thing that goes to your, uh, to your thing. So all you got to do is get through this door. If, uh, if you're not super powered, you won't be able to do it. But if you are, then you can get through this door and you better come stop us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is great, of course, because, you know, mastermind again. Yeah. So, um, he uh so yeah then they go through the the tunnel thing and david dunn obviously uh you know like pounds into the door and you can see it like you can see it denting in with his uh you know him hitting it and obviously he does get out oh yeah actually just a quick note he if i just remember he didn't actually go to his cell he was talking through the camera microphone that's right yeah that's right yeah which is important i'm sure he would have just crushed uh glass with no issue whatsoever right yeah, so like David Dunn's, you know, moving out as well, and then like uh, they're escaping through the. And some security people show up right away. You know, good for them. You want that at a mental, uh, possible. right? 
And so uh, the Beast, uh, or James McAvoy, whoever he is at the time, he tells Glass to move up a little bit. And then when he does, he just, like, you know, just destroys the security people. Like, it's it's nothing for him. Another another really well-filmed scene, too. Because, again, we're following Glass. The camera's following Glass as he's rolling up the... Uh, the uh, the little like underground tunnel area from the basement, and behind him, we just see the beast just fucking laying waste to these guys. Yeah, he's just, he's just like you know throwing him around like nothing. It's 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 a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Glass uh, escapes the uh, facility finally. Yep. With uh, the beast and and then uh, David uh, Dunn, you know, makes his way out at almost the exact same time, you know. Good timing on their part. And then, you know, a, a police or security car pulls right up. Yep. There's just a lot of uh, Mr. Glass sitting there watching as the beast just fucks people up. Yeah, and then and then David Dunn starts to fight with uh, with the beast. At one point, he, uh, he locks um, some of the police in this, like, cargo thing or something and takes a <laughs> steel bar. Yeah, and he takes a steel bar and bends it uh, so that they can't get out, basically telling them he's protecting them. See, I felt that was unnecessary. I don't think he needed to bend the bar if he just put it through. He was just wasting valuable time there, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, if you just, I mean, maybe you could, you could knock it. It was like a 10 foot bar. Yeah, seriously. Um, I will say that, uh, you know, obviously we're in spoiler territory. Um,. They they don't make it to the building that uh, Mr. Glass says they're going to make it to. They don't make it off the mental hospital grounds. No, yeah, they're in there. They, the, this whole thing happens in the parking lot of the mental hospital. I, I, I kind of suspect that the budget at that point was like, ah, maybe we don't need to see the building that much. That's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say I sort of called that when he was talking about that because I thought about that because he says, you know, the cameras are going to catch him and everyone will see that superheroes really do exist. And I thought to myself, um, I don't think they're going to do that because I don't think they have the money to film that kind of a scene. Right. But actually, that's actually kind of a, not a bad thing because it's really more realistic that, you know, the, the security is so high that they actually catch them before they try to Absolutely, I like I like the direction that the film went in for sure. This, yeah, it, it, it's another it's another situation where the budget limitations actually lead to a better story. Yeah, and another important part was that all three of their like significant others were on the ground, so they were able to to see them, and you know, yep. you know, there was a lot of emotional you know connections, a lot of like you know exposition about what happens. I mean, I mean, they're. Do you want to you want to spoil what happens next? Yeah. Because I mean, it's kind of a kind of a shocker. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We can uh, we we're, we're in full spoilers now. So, okay, so um, what happens is is that um, you know they're fighting and everything, and uh, like you said, Anna Taylor Joy and uh, Mister Glass's mom and and David Dunn's son are there watching all this stuff. Oh, and I'm sorry, I forgot to, we do, we must point out that uh, he was thrown into the water tank. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. They threw him into the water tank, and uh, he ends up uh, being able to, like, kind of... Just punch his way out. Yeah, bang the side and get out, but he's still weakened. It seems like, um, obviously, he has a vulnerability to water, uh, because he can't swim or or whatever, uh, as anyone who couldn't swim would have a vulnerability to water, but it also seems to sort of weaken him. Like it takes him a minute to kind of get back up to full power after being in water like that. 
Yeah, and so water is just everywhere, including in this puddle that we're shown for some reason, which we later realized why we're shown. Right. So Sarah Paulson had seen uh, what was going on on the monitors and everything. And, uh, you know, she had called the code and stuff with this, all the the security came and everything. And um, she uh, she comes out there as well. And we see um, so we're kind of shown like all three different characters and where they are and everything. And um, so David Dunn's son first, because, you know, they're fighting and uh, uh, David Dunn is weakened and it looks like the beast is actually going to get the advantage on him. So David Dunn's son comes up and he says that, uh, and earlier in the movie, it's explained that David Dunn or that uh, the beast, Kevin Wendell Crumb, his father left and uh, he, you know, like he never came back or whatever. And that, um, you know, that is what left him with his mother who was abusive to him. And so uh, we'd seen in some other scenes that uh, uh, David Dunn's son was doing some kind of research behind the scenes and looking different stuff up. And he looked up uh, Kevin's father and everything. So he tells him, he says, there's something that Glass isn't telling you, you know, like, uh, you know, something you need to hear that. Uh, that train that your dad was on, your dad was going to a child psychologist or whatever to try to, or something to try to figure out, uh, you know, how to help. No, no, his, his mother was already abusive to him. And so he's yeah. trying to figure out a way to get some therapy for her. Right. Exactly. And uh, so he went on a train to do this and it was the same train that David Dunn was on uh, at the beginning of Unbreakable. And he died because they all died except for David Dunn in this train, uh, accident. So the glass killed Kevin's dad. And therefore created Kevin as well as David Dunn. Yeah. In his own mind. Exactly. And, and that's what glass kind of says is the beast, you know, is, is coming up to him. He says that, you know, like part, part of his power is, is his ability to bring superheroes out or superheroes to the forefront and everything and obviously the beast is is pissed so he slams him in the chest which you know especially is obviously going to hurt anybody but especially with osteogenesis imperfecta you know that's shattering the sternum and all those bones so it's obviously like really bad yeah it's like a lethal blow yeah so he you know he falls on his side and everything gets knocked out of his chair his mom comes over to him Uh, a lot of people have pointed out that his mom is young is the actress who plays his mom is actually younger than Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, she's 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 great in this and Unbreakable. I I love her character, and that's why I don't have a problem with that. Like people were pointing that out, and I'm like, so what? I'm like, she was in Unbreakable in the flashback scenes when he was a kid, so she had to be younger than Samuel L. Jackson to believably play uh, the mom to this young boy. So right. they brought her back and they put her in old age makeup that wasn't the best old age makeup I've ever seen. But, you know, I didn't have a problem with her being younger, but no, and it's nice to see her again. I mean, she's a pivotal, you know, character in the first, uh, and unbreakable. I say the first one, really, this kind of is like an, I don't know if it was intended. I always heard that there was going to be an unbreakable, you know, they want to do a trilogy. Yep. And supposedly the beast was the initial drafts of unbreakable. I don't know if this, I, I, I can't imagine if this was all perfectly intended to be a trilogy, but it works really well as a trilogy. Yeah, it really does. But, uh, yeah, so she's there with him, and then, um, uh, so David Dunn is trying to get up, 
Um, and Anna Taylor Joy's character goes and talks to, you know, she says the Kevin Wendell Crumb name a bunch of times because we learned in Split, if you say his name, you can bring him to the forefront. And obviously his other personalities and the Beast have gotten more powerful, so they're fighting against it. But she finally does bring him to, uh, you know, Kevin out and she starts talking to him and everything. And we see Sarah Paulson give the order to shoot and the sniper is there and you can kind of see he's got this like uh clover tattoo on his wrist and he shoots him and you know kevin the, the beast and he says uh she was able to turn him uh you know we got the shot off and so he's you know been shot in the chest and he's uh you know dying as well and then we see david dunn and david dunn's there kind of still like not powered uh, weakened and everything and another one of the guys comes over who also has this tattoo and starts uh shoving his head into this puddle trying you know like trying to drown him just kind of like almost like uh like up and down you know <laughs> like instead of just holding it down the whole time he's like you know like keeps going back and forth with it and sarah paulson comes over and she says you know take my hand and everything and obviously she knows that uh that he can see stuff, so he takes her hand. Which, which is a great callback to Unbreakable, because that's how you unravel the whole plot of that movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she she also has one of these tattoos on her wrist, and he sees her in this restaurant talking to these, uh, you know, these people. It's some sort of, like, secret society type thing. And, um, you know, she uh, she says to him, did I, did I at least almost have you convinced you know, and stuff that you weren't really super powered. And then they, um, you know, they, they keep dunking his head in and eventually they do drown and kill him. Uh, so yeah, and then all I think three people, of them are dead. Might, yeah. But actually before this, she goes over to Samuel Jackson as well mm-hmm. and tells him that he was right the whole time. Yep. She says that at least you can die knowing that you were, that you were right about, you know, your theories as to, you know, all this stuff. And he says, to his mom, you know, that he was right and everything. Yeah. And yeah, this is great too, because his mom, you know, she, you could tell he's talked to her about his theories quite a bit. Mm-hmm. He's like, Oh, this is an, an ending. He goes, Oh no, no, this isn't an ending. This is an origin story. Yeah. Yeah. He does say that. That's right. And he says, he says, and this is another nice emotional part of the movie where he says, you know, I wasn't a mistake. Like, and we kind of, we get the motivation behind why he wants to prove that, you know, superpowered people are out here, that, you know, his birth and his life wasn't a mistake, that it was, you know, some kind of fate thing. Yeah, and his mother, who clearly has unconditional love for the man who, you know, took down a plane, crashed a train, yep. who cut someone's throat, you know, moments ago, says, you were spectacular. Yep. And, and yeah, he says that thing about the origin story, which obviously is important. Um, so all three of them are dead. They've killed all of them. And um, so then Sarah Paulson goes to uh, this restaurant where this secret society meets. And I guess they just kind of pretend that everything's cool while there's they still they still function as a restaurant for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, there's some interesting stuff there. Like she says, like, okay, well, you know, we, we've shown that when one pops up, more seem to show up as well. So she's moving on to another city to, uh, you know, kill some more people. Yeah, basically she says that 
She knows her mandate that the first step is to try to convince them that they're not actually superheroes. And then if they can't do that, that they do the, the surgery that gives them some sort of like lobotomy type thing. And then last course of action is to kill them. So yeah, she's trying to deal with it in a humane fashion, which she mentions. And I mean, she's, she is sort of humane to them at the end, but she's ultimately the cause of their various demise. Right. So then she goes to a comic book store um, you know, and she's just kind of going around there and it's, that part feels a little men in black to me, I guess, like how, kind of how they go to, um, the tab. Yeah. Like they go to the tabloids and stuff to, uh, to get the actual news. I feel like she's going to the comic book store because she's like, you know, the, these comic books are a window into, um, how this stuff works that Samuel L. Jackson's, uh, point of view was that comic books were sort of like an underground explanation or whatever of of like modern mythology essentially. Yeah, and that all yeah, and actually it's it's important to note that both uh, his his, son, his son's name is not Cole. That's from the Sixth Sense, but his son and the girl from Split also at different points show up in the same comic store. Yeah, looking for more information about you know what's. Yep, exactly. So you know she's looking through comics there, and then um, there are two guys that are talking about comic books in the background. And they mention that, um, you know, this is what's so great about this supervillain because, uh, you know, he's like a mastermind and, um, you know, you always think that you know his plan, but you don't really know his plan. Like he's got something in mind this whole time. And she kind of realizes that. um, Doesn't she look up and see a camera? Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, she kind of, she realizes she's like, oh, no you know, Mr. I might not have realized what Mr. Glass's full plan was. So she goes back to the uh, institution where, yeah, um, they had, they had erased all the camera feeds they showed before this. Sorry. We're uh, bad at doing things in order. (laughs) Right. But she goes back to the institution. She talks to the guy and she says, everything got, got erased. Right. And you know, nothing got downloaded or anything. And he says, um, he says, yeah, everything's been erased. He kind of looks at the thing. He goes, oh, this is weird. He's like, um, someone, (laughs) someone was, uh, someone was, uh, like had a live feed of, uh, of stuff as it was happening. And she realized too, though, like, oh wait, he went to the basement because there's more cameras on the way Mm -hmm. out through the basement. Yeah. And she kind of like, she's explaining, she's like, he went. The reason that he went through the basement, even though it was uh, a longer route and everything, is, and she's like, we gave him everything that we needed. We gave him all the cameras we needed. He went through the path of the most cameras, basically, and he he uploaded all this stuff onto the internet, uh, like, for everyone to see. And then the movie ends with uh, the three side characters, the mom and the, the son and Anna Taylor-Joy, and they're in uh, the train station thing from uh, Unbreakable when uh, David Dunn went there to um, to find some criminal. And they're in there and everyone starts getting, I guess they, they probably, I'm thinking they probably uploaded it to YouTube. Yeah, they said they, they uploaded it on the internet like two hours before. Yeah. And so it starts going viral and everyone's starting to see this and everything. And so... Um, you know, Samuel L. Jackson's plan comes to fruition where people are now beginning to realize that superheroes are actually real. And that's, that's where we end the film. Um, yeah. One of the problems that I kind of have is, you know, and here's the thing, this is probably explained by your, uh, you know, your attitude of this being, uh, uh, you know, it's, this is a superhero movie and everything in real life. 
I can't imagine that anyone would be convinced by the footage that we see. Like, yeah, I can, I can see that, but I mean, it's, I mean, again, it's the whole, you know, world of superhero books. Yeah, if we take this as a world that's, uh, you know, that's that's ready for this knowledge, you know what I mean? Um, then I kind of get it, and it's sort of implied that people that write comic books either have direct knowledge, or if they don't, they kind of suspect you know what i mean like almost how religious people will say um you know when people like belief in god and stuff like that they'll say that um that well the proof of it is that people keep writing these stories that they keep you know that there's just something inside of us that knows the truth of um, yeah i think that's more what they're going for like it's almost like a cultural like meme that's like you know gone throughout like society's culture like they kind of have this idea that they have to tell these tales of these people because they're real which doesn't make sense i mean obviously there'd be a lot more different reasons why people do make comic book right but yeah i think that's i think you know uh religion plays a big aspect in a lot of different uh uh movies by m night Shyamalan. so that's why i kind of thought that and i think that's sort of where he's going with that thought is that um you know they're just driven to do this because they kind of instinctively know that this stuff really does happen so if you look at it from that perspective then we're living you know the movie takes place in a world where people are open and ready to accept this as true and would maybe have a little less skepticism uh than yeah than people in our actual reality or maybe he just feels that there's enough like conspiracy theorists and people out there that you know will do whatever they can to prove it's real or unedited. Yeah, and um, and like you know, like like she said, she was going to a different city. So these three um are obviously not the only ones. And if we take the origin story, uh, you know, idea, then we're talking about um, we're talking about the origin of like an entire universe of a bunch of different you know, superheroes in this M. Night Shyamalan world that maybe more of them will come out, more of them will be, you know, maybe maybe this uh, video and stuff will spur other people who are kind of, you know, underground, don't tell anybody about it, superheroes to, you know, make themselves public, say, I do have these abilities and stuff. Because, you know, that was a big thing in Unbreakable, too. And they do they, they do show that, they do show scenes of that. Yeah, I think I just realized that this whole movie is about belief, like the whole trilogy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the very first one, like no one except for his son believes that he has these super abilities, you know, his son and Mr. Glass, of course. Yep. And sure enough, they convince him to believe in himself as well. And then, oh, wait, I guess I'm right. They're right. I am, you know, the supernatural, superpowered character. Yeah. Like Glass's, in, in Unbreakable, Glass's mission was to convince David Dunn that that one person that he actually was superpowered and then yeah. his mission in this movie is to convince everyone else and even in the second one most of the characters until <laughs> even the audience for the most part believe that this is just like some insane you know serial murder type person yep yeah they but then you know he, he causes the other people to believe that oh wait i actually am the beast it's a real thing you know i actually can you know walk on walls and bend bars yep yeah, and, and I yeah, totally. I agree. I think the whole trilogy is kind of about belief and and faith and and stuff like that. But uh despite the few problems that I had with it, and the other like I said the other um kind of like problem that I had with it is and this is another thing that kind of can be explained by the superhero or the by being in the comic book thing. 
why wouldn't they just do the the lobotomy surgery like immediately? <laughs> but I, I get right. I get your point about her trying to do it humanely. She thinks the most humane thing to do is just to convince them that they're wrong and have them lead normal lives, never using their superpowers. And if she can't yeah. if she can't do that, the next humane most humane thing to do is surgery. And if that doesn't work, then the least humane thing to do in the last resort is killing them. Um, yeah, oddly um, enough, the first thing might be the least humane of the three options. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, so I kind of, I, I, you know, talking to you, I've kind of, a lot of my things that I sort of question about this movie, I think, uh, have kind of disappeared. So I did really enjoy the, the movie, uh, a lot. The, the, I think it was a little overstuffed in the last, um, 15 or 20 minutes or so of the movie. Yeah, it's a movie that does seem a little longer than it should be but i'm not too upset by it because it's not i don't think there's anything that's really wasted that's on uh, camera or on yeah i agree um but i would definitely i would definitely recommend this movie to uh to people i think it's it's really enjoy- i still think unbreakable is probably better um it's that's, yeah i would it's, say that it um the only thing i don't like about unbreakable is the ending the like the text ending where it's just like this is what happened to david dunn this yeah, is yeah. what happened to mr glass other oh, than i thought that was again comic wise it was perfect i thought yeah but um but yeah like uh i i would say it's probably not as good as unbreakable i think i liked it better than split though um, yeah i would say that i don't think splits split grew on me more so whereas unbreakable i immediately liked it yeah, um, I, mean, I kind of want to when this comes out on you know whatever it comes out. I kind of like to watch all three of them. I don't think I could watch all three in a row, but maybe three separate nights that be that wouldn't be bad at all. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I want to watch. I want to watch them in order as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I really did enjoy this movie a lot. Uh, there's a lot to like about it. Like I said, aesthetically, I think Shyamalan does a really good job. Uh, it's doing well financially, which I think is is good as well. That's good. Um, this is almost like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, where it's a really great movie, especially if you've seen the ones before it. Because yeah. I mean, just going into it, not seeing either of the two uh, prequels, I guess to it, right? It, it wouldn't be nearly as rewarding or satisfying as if you had been a fan of the first two, and then like, oh wow, they're. I, I mean, this I, it, it has every reason to be a bad movie because like what they're taking this twenty year old character and this one from last year that was a surprise hit and just making a new movie, but it works very well. It really does, it, it, and it it weaves. Like I said, um, I like I like how the themes of this movie retroactively affect the themes of Unbreakable and the themes of Split. And I think yeah. I think it really it takes what's good about those two movies and it elevates it. Um, you know, it like it uses it really well in this oh, yeah. movie. Yeah, it almost like distills the first two movies into this one. Yeah, and it uh, and it like Unbreakable, like I said, it's probably my favorite M Night Shyamalan movie, and is a really great film. And I think it it even that this sequel improves like the themes and everything of the or reinforces at least the themes of the first movie and makes it even more satisfying to watch it. And I don't think you can ask for more from a sequel. No, and uh, we mentioned this briefly before, but I I. I don't know how long he's on screen, but Samuel Jackson is just amazing in this movie. Yeah, he's I mean, called glass. It's technically, technically he should be the star of it. In a lot of ways he is, even though he's not on screen, you know, more than the other characters, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say, 
but he he's phenomenal in this movie. Like I I don't care about the Academy Awards and that sort of thing, but mm. I mean, if anyone deserves an award for this movie uh, or an award for acting, he's just amazing in this. Yeah, he is absolutely great, and um, yeah, his his character, his character motivation, and his character actions, even though a lot of them are behind the scenes and we don't necessarily see him, uh, they they motivate the entire film. So it's definitely appropriately titled glass because his character is the driving force of pretty much all three movies. Honestly, even though yeah. he's not even in split. Yeah. He's like the uh, hidden, you know, uh, puppet master behind a uh, split unbeknownst uh, even uh, him at the time. Yeah. So because I think he, he only, he only recently, disco- of course it's a, a movie, but he only recently in this movie discovers that, um, Crumb's uh, father was on the train. Well, I I don't I, I didn't remember this, but I heard people say that in Split they do say that his father died in a train accident, and so people theorize that it was the same train. And this movie obviously uh, cements that. Yeah, there. You know, like you said, I don't know if this was a planned out trilogy. I'm gonna guess that it wasn't a planned out trilogy. Uh, in, like not not in any kind of uh, not in any kind of like real detail. But he's definitely he, he he either left some clues or some things kind of hanging in the other two movies where he could take it in different directions or um or he just really used what he had very well. Like he looked at you know yeah. he looked at Unbreakable and said you know kind of where I can go from there. And I definitely I definitely think in Split he he was. Far, much farther along in the plan to make another one after Split. I, oh I yeah, for sure. I, I heard initially, like when Unbreakable came out, like there was, I always heard rumors that it was a part of a trilogy, but it was just so like commercially unsuccessful that they're like, okay, we're not even going to bother doing a sequel, which is really a shame. I mean, obviously you have to tie commercialism to art in some way, but some of the best things like just don't do well commercially, and so like, okay, we're done. Like one of my favorite albums is Pinkerton by Weezer. Yeah. Like, it was like, an amazing album, but then like. It wasn't as successful commercially as the first album, although it's it's artistically it's it's amazing. So after that, it, it seems like they're just like, eh, we'll just do commercially uh, viable stuff from now on. Yeah, I, I agree, and I agree with your opinion on Pinkerton, and I agree that you know that it's a shame that they don't, um, you know, that that plays such a big role in this stuff. But uh, I mean, it's understandable, but in. In, in the in the same sense, it's a shame because that's how you end up with uh, a cover of uh, Africa by Toto. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, go out and see Glass, and uh, that is our show for this week. Uh, again, I everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, if you like the show, the best thing that you can do for us is to tell a friend. Uh, you know, like, uh, like I said last week, force it into conversation if you have to, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, tell, uh, some girl catches you smelling her hair, say, Hey, uh, I heard about this uh, podcast. (laughs) Yeah. That's how you can play it off. Um, but, uh, yeah, tell, uh, tell a friend, uh, tell two friends, uh, to listen to Massive Late Fee, uh, we definitely appreciate it. Uh, other stuff you can do for us, go to Bandcamp and uh, listen to our audio commentaries. We've got a few up there. Uh, we're going to be doing one. I think we'll probably do one coming up uh, this week, Mike, uh, if that's cool with you. Yeah, if we could find a movie. 
Um, Feel yeah. free to send in suggestions. Yeah, you can email suggestions to massivelightfee at gmail.com of any movies that you might want us to, to do commentaries on. Uh, if you want to financially support the show, we, we absolutely love when people do that. You can go to uh, Patreon, massivelightfee.patreon.com. And, uh, you know, uh, give us uh, a buck, you know, even, even just a dollar, uh, really helps out, uh, like helps us continue the show. Go to, um, collector mount, uh, use uh, code massive late fee 25. And, uh, you know, that helps us out, uh, supporting the advertisers obviously helps us out. Uh, and you can find us on Twitter at massive late fee. You can find Mike at Mike underscore late fee. That is that right? Uh, I think so, but I also think I forgot the password for that one, so we'll see on that. <laughs> um, and then you can find us on Facebook, Massive Late Fee on Facebook. Thanks, everyone. Uh, thanks, Jason, for the theme song. Thank you to our Patreons. Thank our uh, our advertiser, Collector Mounts, and uh, thank you, listeners. Uh, we will see you next week. Next week we've got um, the uh, the guys or the uh, the couple from uh, the Skeptical Skeptics podcast coming on. We'll be talking about conspiracy movies, so that's going to be a good one. Uh, definitely tune in for that. See you all next week. Bye. See you later. <laughs>